Okay, this is another blog post episode. So this one is going to be perceived as controversial, though I really don't think it should be. Um, it's going to be going over the recent blog post series I did on COVID-19 and critical thinking. Um, it's three posts. I want to do more, but it's a frustrating topic to write about for right, a variety of reasons. So I'm just going to put it into this podcast. Now, uh, I'm pre-recording this, so I don't know what the episode number will be. But you'll, of course, read the title and you'll know what it is. But first, this is bought, brought to you by Urban Tactics Kramaga, turning lambs into lions since 2013. Vancouver, Metro Vancouver, so if you don't know Vancouver, is made up of multiple cities. So it's Metro Vancouver, as the term is called, Premier Kramaga Destination. I can say whatever I want about that. Uh, and I say that because any Kramaga school who has tried to open doesn't do very well doesn't last very long because it's a very safe city, so people don't really come. But we've been running consistently with a consistent program that uh, is more realistic, Kramaga, than some other people might, while reminding ourselves that we are in North America, not in some Eastern European country or Israel where we just beat the shit out of each other. Nor do I think that's smart. So people have often commented about we are the number one school because they're like looking around and like, you're the only one with the proper program. That's why I'm saying this for a variety of reasons. So sorry for the other schools, but you know, whatever. You can find Urban Tactics, www.urbantacticscam.com for our scheduling, etc., private lessons or whatnot. And of course, utcamblog.com where you get all my either logical rantings or lunatical rantings, depending on your stance. Uh, and then you have utkmu.com. So if you're unable to train with us, you can see what we're doing online. Of course, that is not a belt factor. You're not getting ranked. I'm not doing online ranking. That's bullshit. It is to help you supplement your training with us or with any other Kramaga organization you are with. So utkmu.com. Or find us on social media. We'll see how social media lasts in the future. Who knows? In Instagram, Urban Tactics Kramaga, Twitter at Urban Tactics KM, Facebook, Urban Tactics Kramaga, etc. So, yeah, let's listen to our lovely intro. Why not? You're listening to The Warriors Day. The Warriors Day. Brought to you. By Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions. Okay, so before we move forward, I want to talk about critical thinking. <clears throat> so I consider self-defense, Krav Maga, and anything, the first point you need to start with is critical thinking. If you do not understand how to think critically and interpret the information in front of you, whether it be physical, philosophical, uh, scientific, you're not going to be able to make a decision that you are best able to defend yourself. Period. Critical thinking is confusing. Often it means not just doing what you are told. Often it means you have to make your own decision. And I know it's easier to let people tell you what to do. I know a lot of you will get frustrated in my Krav Maga way I teach because... I'm not giving you the answer all the damn time. And in fact, I get frustrated as an instructor if you've been with me for years and you're still not understanding the fundamentals. Because I'm not going to fill in the blanks for you. I'm going to give you the framework. you got to fill in the blanks. 
right? That's personal responsibility and telling me that you understand critical thinking. So before I go on a rant about that, you just have to get over the fact it's a hard thing and you got to deal with it. Too bad. So I'm going to read an article I wrote. It's on our blog at uh, Self-Defense Principles, so critical thinking. So what is critical thinking? So according to Wikipedia, it is this. Critical thinking is the objective analysis of facts to form judgment. The subject is complex and several different definitions exist, which generally include rational, skeptical, unbiased analysis and evaluation of factual evidence. Critical thinking is self-directed, self-disciplined, self-monitored, and self-corrective thinking. It is presumed proposed uh, ascent through the rigorous standards of excellence and mindful command to their use. It entails effective communication and problem-solving abilities, as well as a commitment to overcome our native egocentrism and sociocentrism, meaning thinking that we're at the center of everything. So it can also be broken down into the graph that it shows the who, the what, the where, the why, the when, how. Taught this in elementary school, man. But most people fall flat because, I'm sorry, a lot of teachers suck, okay? And they don't really, at least my day. And I think the way they're approaching this nowadays, a lot of the time, is very woo-woo and bullshit. Anyways, so still in the, the post. To me, as it relates to our application, critical thinking is probably one of the most undertaught skills, not just in Kramaga and self-defense, but in the education system in general. Huh. Yeah, I say it so much. The truth about... Reality principle-based. Self-defense systems like Kramaga is what we recognize that we cannot actually give you all the answers. Because in that moment of violent confrontation, we, your instructors and peers, cannot be there to whisper in your ear, hey, use this technique. Then switch to this technique. If you as a practitioner have not learned the critical thinking under pressure in that moment of need to make the most correct possible decision to avoid injury, death, then there is not enough techniques in the world that can save you. While we can pretend that the techniques alone are infallible, this would be a lie. There are simply too many factors to consider, such as an opponent's size, speed, and scale, etc. Not to mention confounding variables such as your own body and nervous system's reactions to stressful situations, which may help or hinder your response time. Some students come in and already know how to critically think, but most do not. Some will learn, grasping the idea as things go along. Others need to be spoon-fed the information bit by bit. While there is nothing wrong with having different learning style or pace, you must understand that if you cannot get it in your head from per- uh, get away from your head persistent what if during class, as in what about this situation, what about that, how do I deal, patience first of all, Then you, but you haven't fully understand how to critically think. The what if this line of questioning happens for two reasons. Either you are new, are eager to learn, but fail to understand that though Kramaga is easy to learn, there is still a learning curve. It could take weeks or months to internalize the concepts or principles. Two, you simply have not, for whatever reason, developed critical thinking skills through training, even after many years. Well, figure that one out. At Urban Tactics, if you cannot critically think, then there is a good chance you may be stuck at white or yellow belt for quite some time. This is not meant as an insult, it's just a realistic caution. We need to protect you from yourself. If you think you are more skilled than you are, and you attempt to use techniques or deal with situations you are not ready for, then you will most likely get hurt or worse. Again, it is nothing personal, but experience has shown that those who seek perfect answers by always ask, what if, 
tend to be in the mindset that cannot wait to understand the whole process or have difficulties with conceptual learning. Sorry, some people just can't. Such a mindset results in difficult learning, difficulty learning what Kramaga really is. In the first place, simple, practical, and adaptable. Now, critical thinking, however, is not just specific to self-defense situations. It can be applied to all things in life. The better you are at critically thinking, the less you are likely, whereas, slightly, whatever, I have trouble reading sometimes. Likely, less likely, the better you are, less likely you are to be scammed or to accept bad deal or a myriad of other things or believe bullshit that's being fed to you. Critical thinking is not just the basis of self-defense, as the definition suggests. It is a more complete method or strategy to quickly problem-solve an issue, even if it is something you have never encountered before. Remember, what the first step of any good self-defense program should be is avoidance. You can avoid a situation, not no matter what they are, but by applying critical thinking based on information you have and the conditions in the moment failure to critically think or pay attention. It is often the reason you fail to avoid the situation in the first place. So before you are too hard on yourself as to why you are just not getting it or your instructor is getting mad at you, know that it may have less to do with your technique and more to do with your lack of understanding of application. But the only way you will know is by applying critical thinking in the first place. Then you'll be able to discover if it is really your instructor or if it's the mindset is blocking your progress. Critical thinking is the key to Kramaga, good self-defense, good problem-solving, etc. So like everything, you must start with your mind and work your way out. Or first principles, really. Remember, you are not just learning a set of techniques, you are learning to think for yourself and develop high-level problem-solving in order to avoid and deal with violent situations or non-violent situations that may come your way. So that is truly how you walk in peace, both mentally and physically. Right. So that was on our, our blog. Again, you can check it out. It's really trying to teach the basis of critical thinking. And again, a lot of people hate my approach. They'd like, I'd shut up, John, stop talking. Just teach me how to punch. Well, for if you're a physical athlete, great. You might also not care about theory because school was hard, concepts are hard, and you it's just hard. You got the physical down, you don't want to learn the conceptual stuff. Well, grow up. Be a better version of yourself. You know, and there's the other side. Of course, to be fair, there are people who love the theory and don't want to build their physical skills. And to those people, I also say grow up. You're here to learn something. You need to learn all aspects of that thing. Right? So critical thinking applies to everything. For example, who's the person I should hire? Critical thinking. Well, I need to look at all my options and I need to look at my budget and I need to think what's the best fit. And I decide based on that hire. You don't just hire the first person that shows themselves. Now, sometimes you do out of lack of options, but that's not critical thinking. So what the hell does any of this have to do with COVID? Well, I am seeing both on the right and left politically, all over the place, all over Facebook, all over the media, all over just conversations with people, people cannot critically think about this situation, either because they lack scientific knowledge, which is a huge, huge problem. Okay, oh no, it's only people on the right. They're stupid. They don't understand science. That's true. There's a lot of people who don't understand science. Then I hear people on the left saying garbage, bullshit, about this or that. Really, they're just regurgitating a, a, a headline they saw in a, their favorite uh, biased news source. And it's very clear nowadays what's biased or not. And you can't, I'm sorry, if you're going to talk about like bias, CNN, complete bullshit. They've been proven wrong. Even New York Times has been proven wrong. So you need to, 
what they do is they basically post something knowing it's bullshit and they'll just issue a retraction later, but they know the information is already out there and people stick to the first thing they, they get, get a hold of so they can keep building on the narrative that's been built. And if you're on the opposite side, of course, Fox spins things in its own ways. And in Canada, again, uh, we don't have that kind of uh, spin as much, um, but uh, generally speaking, they're not going to go against the lockdown narratives in Canada because either they work more closely with the governments and the governments can get mad, all sorts of stuff. Um, so it, it's complicated. They do go after them periodically, but it is still there's still some bias towards what the mainstream narrative is. But you need to understand critical thinking to be able to weed through what is going on. You, a, a famous quote, I remember, I forgot where, like, take half of what you read, half of some of, or some of what you read, some of what you hear, and the truth is somewhere in between. And you, you really need to do that. Now, a lot of people say, well, I don't understand science. I'm just going to trust the experts. Um, Yeah, you can't do that, unfortunately. You're basically not anymore. There's lobbyists. There's money in in, in research. There's money in science. You follow the money who's paying for what. Pharmaceutical companies have a huge pull. Even they're paying for a lot of medical schools now. Um, So there's biases everywhere. And you need to be able to, to, to weed through these biases to understand, is this... Is this uh, information neutral? Um, so the first place you can start is, is, is scientific method. Now, s- when someone says science, just because you're a scientist or an expert in a scientific field doesn't really mean anymore you're a scientist. Practicing proper science. Well, you might be a scientist, but you're not practicing uh, proper science because science comes out of the basis of scientific method, Right? And it's a very straightforward thing, right? I'm just, uh, I've just pulled up a quick thing on uh, sciencebuddies.org. Start with asking a question. Do some background research. Construct a hypothesis, right? I think that. Test with an experiment, right? Procedural working, right? Now, here's where things get funny, and I'm just looking at this. I'm like, okay, I've had this discussion with people, scientific method. I asked them what scientific method. They say, I have a hypothesis, or they'll think theory. Theory is after hypothesis. So you do a hypothesis, then it becomes a working theory because there's some evidence to suggest, and then after a while it becomes fact. Now, some things in science that we believe day-to-day are still actually a theory because they can't actually become fact until it's 100%. So an example of gravity. If I, uh, the statement, I drop this ball, it will fall on Earth is a statement of fact. Then you say, why? Gravity, that is basically fact now. Now, the entirety of all aspects of gravity, I think probably worked out nowadays, not an expert on that, but some of the stuff is still theories with to do with gravity because we don't fully understand it yet, right? So the concepts of gravity may still be in the theoretical process, but the fact that it exists and is a thing is a fact. I dropped the ball it will fall. Fact. I drop the ball, it will fall because of gravity. Fact. I drop the ball because of gravity, X, Y, Z, is still kind of theory in, a, in many places. But wait, if I drop the ball, it falls, gravity exists, so it's, there, it's more complicated than that. So what the conversation I have with scientific method often is, you have a hypothesis, and people say, I want to prove it right. That's what you hope. That's your ego. You do scientific method, you want to prove it right or wrong. Positive or negative. That's the real aspect. If you 
hypothesize based on strong observation that this should happen and things go wrong. Well, guess what? Could be the experiment. So you rework the experiment, right? Troubleshoot the procedure, see if you can get the result. Now, if you do it 10 times and you're still not getting the result you want, your hypothesis is probably wrong. You need to rework it. There's also something called a false positive, whether because of, uh, you know, bad methodology, whatever, you get a positive. That's the whole point of peer review is that other people take a look. Unfortunately, with what's going on with peer review in the magazines like Nature XF, um, Nature and Science being the two most predominant ones, even lately they've, they've published some stuff that they had to retract because um, they were crappily done. And then their defense being kind of dicks was, it's not our job to check. Ah, yeah, it is. That's the purpose of peer review. They really need to be checking the methodology. Is the method being done free of biases? Is the method being done uh, proper? Is the method being done good? What the scientific community on large doesn't do, now with COVID, this has happened a lot more than normal because of global events, is that they don't recheck the experiment. As in somebody else in another university, perhaps with a different group of people, need to redo the experiment for it to really go from hypothesis to theory. Just because one experiment shows something doesn't make it theory yet. Unfortunately, due to budgetary concerns or politics or other factors, or the media, often an experiment will be posted, results are posted, widely misinterpreted because of a headline. And then we give common beliefs about something. An example was the famous marshmallow study to do with uh, kids. You give them a marshmallow, say, if I, I, uh, if we wait, uh, if you eat, wait twenty minutes, I'll come back. I'll give you two marshmallows. And they found the kids that were able to hold off eating the marshmallow and got two marshmallows. Twenty years down the road, they they uh, do better now. I found out only recently, like, oh, nobody had redone that study. But it's a study that we've been basing a lot of our theories on for for a long time. I think it has been redone since then, and they found similar results. So that's good. Teach your kids patience early, and they will have a better life. No shocker there. right? So just because something is, is, is a common belief doesn't actually make it fact because they haven't done enough experimentation. right? You need to keep doing it. Keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it until uh, 10 different studies from different universities with different groups, especially when it involves humans, you need to do it on different ethnic groups. Otherwise, it's not going to be universal, right? And there's a lot of corruption in science. And there's a lot of, like a doctor just wants to make money in the end of the day so they can provide for them. Maslow's hierarchy, right? You need your survival stuff first. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble, right? If you don't even understand how any of this works, scientific method and what it's supposed to be, if you're... How can you trust, you like, understand what the experts are telling? You're just listening to them blankly. It's called appeal to authority. You're basically appealing to somebody else. And that is actually how dictators take over because they're saying this, they're saying this, they're saying this. And all of a sudden, you've lost everything because you didn't understand this whole way what they were doing was wrong. Right? So you need to understand these. Don't say, oh, I don't understand science. Understand enough that you can tell when there's incomplete information being told you. You can be like, oh, that, that study is interesting. This study shows this. This study shows that. Is it enough to make world-changing decisions on? Sometimes no. And that, honestly, that's my problem with uh, left-wing thinking is they get a new study poorly done. You can clearly see it's poorly done. Everyone dogpiles on it. They keep pushing it, keep pushing it. It's all poorly done based on poorly done stuff. 
And then they try to change uh, day-to-day behavioral stuff because of badly done research. And then all of a sudden, 20 years down the road, we have a problem. It's, that's actually, you should take a more conservative approach. That's what scientific method is. This is why, by the way, hard sciences really don't like social sciences because a lot of times they're not doing scientific method. For example, in psychology, if you're using surveys as the basis of your theory, go fuck yourself. People lie. You've done tons of studies over the last 50 years to confirm that people are very rarely honest. So they're not going to be honest on the surveys. You need, that's why you have to do studies sometimes where they don't even know they're being watched. You can get their real behavior, right? Observer, uh, observer phenomenon, whatever it's called, where once something knows it's being observed, it often can change parameters because you either have to interact with it from a physics perspective so it's going to change accordingly or with humans, they're going to act in a way that they think. So you're getting different results. So critical thinking for COVID starts with you need to understand how science works, right? And of course, a lot of people who are drawn to science are anxiety-ridden, are antisocial. They don't have good social skills. So they'll just scream at people saying, I'm a scientist, I'm an x-ray. You need to trust me. You're too stupid to figure this out. And, and maybe that's true. But guess what? You know, Einstein famously said, if you can't explain it simply, you don't really understand yourself, right? And COVID being a newer... Uh, virus it's confusing people but guess what we need policy now and a lot of these politicians don't know shit a lot of them are just lawyers okay and they know the law but they don't know other stuff and they don't know how to fill in the blanks so they have Karens yelling at them on one side other people being irresponsible on the other side and everyone's just making around all bad mistakes and the fact that you're not allowed to discuss these things openly and properly without being called some sort of name is absurd and you're all morons Sorry, I know that's not nice. People don't like it, but that's the truth. If you're going to a giant party with 50 people that you don't know and then going to see grandma, you're a piece of shit. Sorry. And if you're running around screaming, hiding in your house, screaming at people, mask this, mask that, and I'll get to that. Uh, How dare you? You're putting other people's health at risk. Think of the frontline workers. You're an asshole too because you're actually being just as selfish as the people you're accusing. You just don't realize it, right? So anyways... You need to understand scientific method. There is a general lack of scientific illiteracy in critical thinking, which is leading to a lot of the conflicts and problems we're having. Sorry, if you're not smart enough to figure this out, then you have to acknowledge it. Sometimes jumping on the first piece of information you get is the wrong approach. If you are smart enough to figure out, which most of you are, stop being lazy. Okay? Stop being lazy. Find multiple sources. Keep people on Facebook that have opposing opinions. I have lots of people on my Facebook I think are full of shit. I think they're missing a point. And I think they say ridiculous things. But I want to see what they're doing. Even if I... It, it angers me what they're saying. I Don't go and say, delete me off of Facebook. If No, if you don't want someone on your Facebook, delete them. Okay? This whole, if I don't like what I hear, I'm going to get you out of my life. If they're in your immediate life, sure. Anyways, that's off topic. But open mind. Research yourself. But you need the base knowledge in order to understand. Again, a lot of people don't even understand scientific method. And I'm, I'm coming from a place when I was in psychology, I left because I just saw crap being done everywhere. Dumb beliefs based on bad science. Uh, just silly ideology that's baseless that you can easily prove wrong just with a statement. Um, so you, you really need to be careful nowadays. And of course, this is all being politicized. And you should know that this is a global phenomenon because you can go to one country with a left-wing government doing lockdowns and another country with a right-wing government doing lockdowns, other countries with uh, left-wing countries open, other countries with right-wing governments doing open, less so, of course, it's a less open model. You know, Sweden 
and other places. Uh, I'll get more on that. But you really need to critically think. Stop screaming at each other and have actual dialogue. A lot of it is to do with you don't understand. And if you're a scientist saying you don't understand uh, science, okay, but guess what? You as a scientist doesn't understand what it's like to be a working class person who now can't do what they want to do. I'm just putting this out there. Okay, so people need to stop with this nonsense. So before I get more, I'm just sort of setting it up about understanding critical thinking, understanding there's more to it, right? Lobbyists, who's paying for the studies? How are these scientists doing scientific method properly? Now, when it comes to the vaccines, they definitely are because there's so many eyes watching them. Um, But there's still questions to be asked, and I'll get to that later. So this is the setup. You need to understand so much more than most people are willing to learn because we don't have the time in order to critically think about this. So people any default to, I don't know, trust the expert, not understanding they're being manipulated a little bit. And even the experts who are being honest, they'll give you gray because that's the way they should at this point. They'll say this, but that. and then But I need an answer, but this, but that. I do this all the time. People hate it. I want an answer. I can't give it to you. It's not a fact yet. It, this is true and that's true. I, and the, You see how it gets confusing? So before I go too much on this, let's go to our actual blog posts. The first one being critical thinking, COVID-19, initial response, and the virus. So take a listen. Critical thinking and COVID-19. Initial response in the virus. When it comes to teaching Krav Maga, I do not think of techniques as the starting point of self-defense, but rather critical thinking. This is because critical thinking is a skill which translates into more situations allowing for a person to better walk in peace. This skill, however, can be difficult one to teach, as some people have developed ways of thinking and processing information that are totally devoid of it, which is a hard habit to break, while others may have never been taught to think critically. And of course, there are those who do not even care to think at all. This is all part of the complex concept that we call the human condition. Enter COVID-19 and 2020. This year has clearly been a trying one for many reasons, especially when you are attempting to apply critical thinking and rationality to everything that's going on. While many of those around you simply cannot be bothered, but I remain undeterred and will apply some critical thinking skills to apply to analyze the goings-on of the most interesting year as we approach the beginning of 2021. Though to what end, I'm not really sure. You can take it or leave it, but it's really up to you to apply your knowledge, skills, experience, and even trust to make your own mind up one way or another. I'm separating this analysis into three-part series, employing my non-expert knowledge experience to break it down a little bit. This post will be on the initial response to the pandemic. Next week will be on masks, and the following week, a look at vaccines. So love me or hate me, these posts are coming. Preparedness, or lack thereof. In case you live in a cave somewhere, COVID-19 popped up in late December of 2019 and was identified and announced in early January of 2020. Though there are claims that the highest level of government knew earlier, I am not going to go down the conspiracy rabbit hole. By March, we started to see governments panicking and moving towards full closures of borders or communities in order to flatten the curve. Remember that? Only two weeks to flatten the curve. Lockdown pitch? So much for that. You were lied to. 
But let's take a step back and talk about pandemic procedures. We should start with this. When I studied occupational health and safety, I learned about the field of emergency preparedness. Said field of a subfield of OHS was so complex it grew into its own specialty emergency management planning and requires extensive comprehensive training way beyond the basics to be proficient in it. I came across this back in 2006 and I expect it was known outside of training experiences so while planning for a pandemic is a monumental task the requirements of such a plan were on the public health corridor for some time now. Thus, I find it highly unlikely that Western governments, the UN, NATO, and other such organizations did not have pandemic plans on paper prior to 2020. In fact, if they did not, I would say this is unforgivable negligence. FYI, my understanding is they all did. That's why I don't like governments. Now, with my non-experienced knowledge of pandemics and emergency preparedness planning, let's just take a stab at a basic plan. I'll be defining pandemic as such. Pandemic, adjective of a disease prevalent over a whole country or the world. Now, potential plan made by a layman. Identify a potential virus or outbreak that has the potential to become a pandemic. Two, start the process of doing science stuff to learn how to defeat said virus. Three, isolate the region in which the initial infection is located and limit travel as needed. Four, if... And when it spreads, limit travel to the region and test anyone entering or leaving the country, where realistically possible. 5. Surrounding countries should start preparing emergency plans for hospitals. 6. If and when it jumps to another country, stop travel to said newly infected country while science is done and solutions are planned. 7. If and when it jumps to further countries, close borders, implement testing, and post updates on how to identify the infection, prepare hospitals for in potential influx and prepare for the possibility of needing field hospitals to offer increased capacities. Start preparing emergency caches of supplies and increasing strength of the supply chain. Redirect government finances to bolster hospitals, first responders, and infection response teams. This would now be at a more global level. If needed, due to high death counts or extreme negative symptoms, limit travel inside all of the now infected regions and countries and make widespread accurate testing easily available. Implement health procedures needed to decrease exposure risk in a various industries. Restrict, restrict activities as needed within reason. 9. If outbreak worsens and death count increases, implement lockdown procedures until a better solution is sorted out. 10. When government fails due to chaos, get your guns. Of course, learn how to use them before you need them. This, of course, is just a basic idea of what might be a good strategy. If I, with limited knowledge, can come up with something like that, implementation, of course, is obviously more difficult and expensive and a logistical nightmare. Why did governments get these things so wrong as refusing to do things? Well, they resisted shutting down because at the time, the claim was limiting travel to China would be a racist action. Wait, racist? What does this have to do with a pandemic? Nothing. It's purely political. A virus like COVID-19 doesn't care much about race, though differences in genetics and socioeconomic statuses do affect how a given virus will impact certain groups. But racist? Nope. Practical? Yep. 
What would have the world look like if governments across the globe had actually implemented the plans they had on paper and immediately limited travel restrictions and testing rather than screaming about the appearance of racism? Probably a more functional 2020. Few nations actually managed to avoid COVID. With that being said, from what I have seen, many experts assert that this virus would have spread regardless. See Alana Sheikh's TEDx talk from 2019 and pay attention to what else she says. Some were convinced of this virus inevitably to the point of basically saying, don't bother closing borders because it won't make a difference. At this point, it kind of didn't. This attitude seems very morbid and not very forward-thinking because of, and we all know this, the people factor. But hey, an expert in pandemics is an expert in everything else, like economics or psychology, right? Clearly, coming from the perspective that the virus will spread anyway, so what's the point? The point would have been simple. Governments are slow and inefficient. Thus, the more time they have to prepare, the less likely they are to be overwhelmed, and the less the general public would have been punished for the government's incompetence. Why do I say incompetence? Well, let's take a widely accepted claim from many leaders that no one could have seen this coming. This is simply a giant pile of crap and failure of our leaders and governments to take responsibility for their actions or lack actions in many cases. I'm not picking on one country, this was pretty much all of them. How can I make such a claim? Consider that experts they are using now to shove restrictions down your throats are the very same experts who are telling politicians for years that due to climate change, massive urbanization, the proximity of humans to farms and forest animals to, that serve as a viral reservoir, pandemics are coming. We need to prepare. Epidemiologist, pandemic expert, Michael T. Osterholm, who was the guest on Joe Rogan episode 1439, wrote a book called Deadliest Enemy in 2018-17. This was a response to SARS and MERS outbreaks in 2003 and 12, respectively. The fifth and sixth coronaviruses human, humanity has encountered. Here's another piece taking about talking about what we learned from the outbreaks and how to prepare. Point being, they knew better. There were many other experts telling leaders to prepare, so what happened to listening to the experts back then? Political will. In this book, he talks about seriousness of pandemics and general lack of preparedness, going, even going into specific details as identifying the issues with modern medical supply chains. Yeah, that's right. The whole don't wear masks at the beginning was actually a lie to ensure that the medical system had priority access to PPE rather than sound medical advice. But I will get into that in the mask post. To keep it short here, it is basically means governments didn't properly prepare, period. A local example. After 2003 SARS outbreak in Toronto, governments in Canada and provinces spent loads of cash on PPE, etc. for first responders. Awesome, right? Well, medical gear expires, so guess what happened? It expired. Unfortunately, governments generally d did not replace the equipment because of ignorance, cost-saving measures, and the attitude of, that's the future government's problem. Enter COVID-19, and hey, with the crappy supply chain based in China, first responders were left for weeks or months without proper equipment. This was confirmed to me by sources. So while this was a short analysis, this is actually very easy to prove that the assertion nobody could have seen this coming and we couldn't have possibly prepared for this is simply a lie to cover up government incompetence. The virus, the politics, and the data. Wait, John, did you say there was more than one coronavirus? Yes, there are many. 
members of the Coronaviridae family, which includes the common cold and several flu strains. Some are worse than others, SARS-CoV and MERS-CoV. For example, tend to have higher death rates, around 20 to 40 percent, but spread much slower than COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, and initial comparison of COVID-19, SARS, and influenza can be found here. Click on link. You may recall that there were many at the beginning saying it was flu-like or closely comparable to the flu. Well, it is in the same family of viruses, so saying someone who repeats this that is an idiot isn't completely fair. Though COVID-19 does spread at a far more rapid pace than the common cold or flu, with significantly higher morbidity rates in the elderly population and those with core morbidity factors. The vast majority of people, probably 80 to 90% will experience mild to medium symptoms, like a cold or flu. It is, after all, a virus with a 95 to 99% survival rate, give or take, depending on age and other factors, as in, if you're older, it's going to be closer to a 95%. If you're younger, it'll be 99%. Consider the amount of elderly who are hospitalized for cold or flu who develop pneumonia and die. Comparing COVID-19 to this, to the flu, albeit a bastard cousin, was a reliable, easily, albeit a bat with a reliable, easily available vaccine, was somewhat reasonable. Notwithstanding the fact that in Canada, at least COVID-19 has, at the 10-month mark, taken out almost four times as many people than the seasonal flu in 12 months, 13,000 versus 3,500, give or take. Yes, as it should be, common knowledge by now, age groups 60-plus are generally at much higher risks from having issues. Short and long-term due to COVID-19, this isn't really debatable, but they are still trying to probably instill fear into young people by bringing those numbers up every time a, sing, a single time a young person dies. Yes, it can happen, but that is true for most viruses or diseases. Some people, no matter their age or good health, are just screwed. Your own immune system may overreact to cause more problems than the virus itself due to a cytokine storm. This is one of the reasons people are panicking, they didn't understand it, so they just freaked out. It's like winning the unlucky lottery that you played simply by being born. It is unfortunate, but it is what it is. Statistically, however, you are not likely to die of COVID-19 by a long shot if you are under 40, and less between 40 and 60 than if you are older. So why did they demonize this comparison? Well, again, politics. Because the system had failed, they wanted to use fear to make people take it more seriously so people would listen to them, the government. While some politicians are legitimately trying to save lives, others may simply be incompetent. But instead of being honest and open with the science, both would rather lie, manipulate, and talk down to you. I have read articles reporting on young people who had a terrible experience with COVID-19, and it is often presented as, you see, young people have problems too. But buried deep down further in the information is a note of that, oh hey, they had diabetes, or they were overweight, or hey, they had a health issue they didn't even know about. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and call that manipulation. They're encouraging fear to encourage obedience. By the way, obesity, old age, and general poor health are some of the main factors that will lead to death if you get COVID-19. So, no, you know, staying healthy is a good way to keep yourself further from death in general all the time. Oh, and also, vitamin D deficiency can cause complications, which many, many, many doctors have confirmed. But you know, vitamin D is cheap, easily accessible, and does not need governments or pharmaceutical companies to be involved in the solution. 
I want to be clear, vitamin D is not a cure, but rather can help your immune system do its thing. If you do get COVID-19, you are considerably less likely to experience severe anything, symptoms, unless you have health problems. The link above was from Ben Greenfield's podcast, but you have there have been many others talking about COVID-19 and other issues. For example, episode with Dr. Zach Bush, he discusses how that statins or comparable drugs for heart problems, obesity, are more likely to experience complications with COVID-19 than average cancer patients. Weird, huh? Despite the insane amount of evidence about how being healthy and strengthening your immune system helps versus COVID, again, not a cure, but a solid preventative medicine against general ailments and slowing of inevitability of death. Governments have largely only focused on the expertise of ER doctors and epidemiologists individuals whom are not in fact experts on preventative medicine. In general, Western medicine barely focuses on preventative medicine at all, aside from generic advice of maintaining good diet and exercise. Considering the virus was supposed to be the death of us all, shouldn't they want to give us all reasonable scientific advice to help people survive? I guess promoting good health and well-being isn't good advice or at least not good advice with regards to money for medical systems because, you know, people are healthier. But I digress. Let's get back to t- and talk about the concept of flattening the curve. Initially in Canada, this meant a two-week partial lockdown in order to slow infections and space out those re- who required hospitalizations. To avoid being overwhelmed, and also to allow the overall system medical and government to make preparations. This is reasonable, although had they prepared properly, it might not have been needed. I accept this premise, as if hospitals were overwhelmed, then yes, many were more would likely die. Except that many hospitals, for the most part, were never overwhelmed. In the first wave, in the case of Toronto, the hospitals were filled to bursting prior to the pandemic. Some ERs had a very busy nights, as can be seen in numerous articles or ER personnel venting their emotions to the media. Something I consider professional, professionally inappropriate. These doctors should be mad at the government for failing to do a job in maintaining appropriate staffing, doctors and nurses, and provided ag- adequate funding overall. But hey, it's a public's fault apparently. I sympathize with frontline workers, this has sucked, but their emotional distress due to being overworked should not translate into bankrupting thousands of businesses. So based on frontline doctors panicking, despite the fact that most hospitals were not overwhelmed, the government's knee-jerk reaction of two weeks turned into months. Goodbye many other people's livelihoods and lives. Hello, increased suicides, increased abuse, etc. The list goes on. Lockdowns were not a good idea for this virus, this virus, one with a high survival rate for the majority of the population, and yet they still justify it. Anyone saying it was a bad idea calling was called a conspiracy theorist, yet now, months later, the data is in, and it appears that more damage was done physically, financially, emotionally by lockdowns than the potential deaths that would have occurred had we stayed open with some restrictions. But hey, now some places are still doing lockdowns, so, so much for data and science-driven decisions. Infection rate, hospitalization rate, and death rate, the confusion between these points when presenting data and manipulation of its presentation is how they keep you down. I'll add more on the mask one on that one. Why not? Appeal to authority. Appeal to authority. Since experts aren't avoidable, let's talk about them. Trust me, I'm an expert is a statement you should always be very skeptical of. Unless those words are combined with the specialized knowledge, valid credentials, or sufficient experience that makes someone an expert, 
quite often they're not as expert as they think. Assuming someone is an expert in everything just because they have some letters after their name isn't safe as one would think. It's also important to understand that some of those letters may have been earned doing research that is not repeatable, meaning it's not good research. Yet they get a pat on the back for it. This is not to say that there are not legitimate experts to be found in every field, because there are. Unfortunately, in our society, people who want attention get it, leaving those who may be far more qualified to speak on a topic toiling in some poorly funded lab somewhere, all because they won't step into the spotlight or refuse to play the game of politics. Another consideration is that experts and scientists are still human, period, meaning they are fallible and prone to error, ego, and chasing the funding. Some may even have their intentions corrupted by attention-seeking. They are not the godlike, invaluable individuals the media or they themselves would have you believe. Also, who's expert? Because I can find an expert in anything to say anything on anything, because you know, humans. So who should you trust? The experts say keeping locking things down, or the experts saying lockdowns serve no purpose? Many politicians will listen to whoever they think makes them popular, rather than actual science and data. This is often including politicians who say the word science and data repeatedly without actually understanding anything they are talking about. Don't accuse others of being populist when you are doing the same thing. Anyway, I do listen to experts who make valid, well-thought-out arguments based on research and data that has been thoroughly worked through by other people as well. We should listen to when reasonable arguments are made. However, you must always apply critical thinking to what you hear and watch, and read, and know when you are being misled, which is happening a lot. Sometimes experts intentionally or unintentionally assume you are too stupid to understand, so they leave out details. One such expert, one such, another example is a hot mic incident where the truth comes out. Top Ontario doctors got caught saying, maybe jokingly, probably not, I just say whatever they write down for me. Regardless of intent, this is not a great approach, especially when they go on to express anger that the average person is being very scientifically illiterate, which I do agree with. They just treat you as such rather than attempting to properly educate you with simple, well-thought-out arguments that are actually backed by clean, unbiased data. The so-called democratization of science, making it accessible and considerate considerate of the common people. Screwed that word up. Woo. I like experts who don't get, like to give black and white answers because answers with nuances are more likely to be true. A working theory isn't 100% fact yet, or even close sometimes, so saying things definitively is not always correct. However, they are advising politicians, and politicians need to make a decision that are usually based on minimal evidence. Because they need to know now. Sorry, science doesn't work like that, and cherry-picking experts to make you look good is unscientific and unethical. Here's the other thing with experts. They may in fact be an expert in their field, but when it comes to a decision that affects everyone, you should also consult experts in other fields. For example, seeking out information from those who know about economics, psychology, etc. in order to get a full, fuller picture of consequences and knockdown on effects, especially experts in the fields were ignored with regard to lockdown policy, because it probably made the decision too hard. You should listen to, or didn't get votes. You should listen to the experts when their arguments are well made, have sufficient significant evidence to back them up, are informed by more than just their own studies, and include consideration for other areas that may be affected by their advice or decisions. Being too specialized means 
are uh, means you are very good at what you do, but you sacrifice the ability to give sound advice beyond specific scope of knowledge. In defense of science experts of COVID-19, I would say that many of these spokespeople are acting more like politicians and scientists, which is not the appropriate way to deal with major issues. I am sure more of the behind-the-scenes types would be better choices if they stood up and voiced their knowledge and concerns more publicly. So before you listen to the government-appointed person because they are an expert or have a doctor in front of their name, ask yourself, am I being given the entire factual, accurate truth, or am I being selectively told things to get a desired result? Shut up and do the right thing. It's an emotional appeal. It's garbage. A very, very unscientific methodology, by the way. Conclusion for this one. This is, of course, only a small portion of the things I could say regarding COVID-19 and critical thinking in general. But I am not writing a book here. My goal is to encourage you to think for yourself and ask, are you are the things I am being told based on reality or just because it's easier for those making the decision at the top? While it is easy to say it's all about saving lives, which is an emotional appeal again, emotional appeal should always make your spidey sense tingle. The reality is that while some may believe their own intentions are there are genuine, it has clearly been spun into a complicated web of politics and control. I despise when people believe that they are told outright because this shows a complete lack of critical thinking. It also saddens me to know how powerful groupthink can be when people perceive their own safety to be at risk. I do plan on addressing the issue of mass and vaccine as a layman, and as an outright statement, I'm not against either of these things. I will, however, as always, apply critical thinking on the these two topics. I hope this has given you something to think about so that you can learn on critical thinking and live your life freely while also considering others and not being controlled by the governments. Vote for better people. Written by Jonathan Vader. For training online, visit www.utkmu.com. If you are in the Metro Vancouver area, come learn with us in person. Sign up at urbantacticskm.com. Okay, how was that? Now, one thing that... Uh, I don't know if you can read it in that. I'm pissed off because what I see going on is gaslighting from governments and from Karens. Now, a lot of the Karens yelling are not even scientifically literate themselves, nor are they applying critical thinking. It's like uh, in the old Simpsons when it was good, uh, Reverend Lovejoy's wife was like, won't somebody please think of the children? The attitude of, won't somebody please think of the children is often emotionally based and not very thought out. So anyways, I'm pissed off at the gaslight. It is going on. Saying that we're being gaslit uh, is conspiratorial is, is not. We are being gaslit. I say this for a variety of reasons. Um, again, after SARS-CoV-1 in 2003-04, they realized we need better globalized responses to pandemics because by they, I mean governments, Western governments at least, UN, etc. And they realized we need a better plan to coordinate in the case of pandemic because pandemics don't care about borders. Um, and yes, we need borders, so get over yourself. For a variety of reasons, that's a topic for another thing. But um, we need to plan. Now, we did plan. And when COVID-19 happened, at first there was some hesitance to deal with it. And I, I, in America, it was heavily politicized. You think what you want about Trump. But this, I think, was the Democrats' chance to strike because historically the one thing that will unseat a president for sure is economic downturn. 
and they saw this as an opportunity to. And I, and I say that now because now as I'm reading it, um, New York and California, as Joe Biden's getting ready to be inaugurated, are basically saying, oh, we don't need to do lockdowns anymore. It was a mistake. Uh, it was clear they were a mistake a while ago after the first lockdown. And, you know, and here in Canada, you have Quebec and Ontario going cycle with the lockdowns. I'm sorry, the time for the lockdowns was at the beginning, as per any rational epidemic plan. So the thing is, they had these plans. Now, this is one of the issues when you have a government switching every four X amount of years, depending on your country, is that there's things on paper they don't bother to check because they come in wanting to change their ideas and they don't bother looking. Something that, you know, like every in America, for example, a nuclear plan, like they always check that. Maybe it's time to make it mandatory as a briefing and regularly, annually, here's our pandemic plan. Do we need to update it or change it? And I also feel like uh, pandemic preparedness uh, and or a major catastrophe emergency preparedness shouldn't, it, once a budget is established, it should be set in stone. And there needs to be very specific circumstances on which it can be lowered because the preparedness aspect of pandemics or emergencies is very expensive and doesn't get voters. Why are we spending $10 million on this thing that we're not even going to need for 10 years? Well, to avoid things like this. I'm not going to get into the politics of the whole CDC thing in America regarding the defunding because America is a bloated bureaucracy and they do need some defunding in some areas and restructuring. But anyways, Canada did not have a defunding of emergency. They just didn't renew it. And so governments basically screwed up. And the whole, it's racist, it's racist, we can't restrict travel to China, it's racist, it's racist. No, this is a pandemic. I think it's in this article, I, uh, I showed a TED Talk from this uh, from Alana uh, something or other. She says a few things. She, one thing she said is don't wear masks. Fuck you for saying that at the time that she did. And I'll tell you why on the mask section. I don't want to get too off track here. She also said, as did a lot of these experts... We don't need to close the borders. Now, I suspect they're saying we don't need to close these borders because they're looking at it saying it's part of the COVID family, which includes cold and flu viruses. And they're like, no, this is just going to go everywhere. It doesn't matter what you do. Well, that's an arrogant stance. That's not even true. No, And it's not even remotely close to what any pandemic plan, right? In my pod post, I was discussing possible just layman. At some point, you need to restrict travel with pandemics that's how you stop and the countries that are most successful happen to be island nations which means or most part like taiwan and australia new zealand and they're like oh look at them they did full lockdowns you know what they also did they restricted travel in another country so there is almost a misassociation of the lockdowns doing the work when really it probably was let's catch this early get all the cases under control now and honestly, if they let it burn like wildfire and just boosted the medical system, it, that was also a, an option that probably would have resulted in similar results anyways. But anyways, let's operate on the fact that most people chose to do lockdowns because of panicking and stupidity. And the island nations that restricted travel, only like this past month, what are we in? January? Canada implemented, you need to test negative if you want to come to Canada. And they found that they think there was like 71 full flights of people coming into Canada. Uh... I was reading in an article, uh, McLean's maybe, or CBC or something. You don't think that's probably more of the problem, right? You can limit 
the case is all you want in your country, but if you continually allow people to come in and out of the country freely without getting tested, that's kind of going to cause the spread. Now, I suspect they didn't want to shut down or do that, implement that early on because of lobbyists to do with the airline industry. In Canada, like many countries, the airlines are heavily tied in with the government, Air Canada, and there's a lot of corruption. Okay. Had Canada, for example, put a restriction on traveling to China, all you had to do is say you got to test negative. Once testing was available, you got to test negative. You know, you can't come in. It's not, nothing to do with race. I'm sorry, this virus came from China, okay? This is not anything to do with racism. They didn't do any of that. In fact, in the States, you had politicians running around the first little while, mostly on the left, saying, it's okay, I'm going to Chinatown, it's fine, socialized. Meanwhile, in Van- Metro Vancouver, which is a large Chinese population, what was the Chinese population doing? Wearing masks, not going out as much, less interactions. They were terrified from what they were hearing from what China, the government, was doing. You know, draconian lockdowns where they uh, basically, even in some places, welded door shuts to keep people in. This is not conspiracy. This, this was basically proven. Now, you could say that some of that was propaganda video coming out of China and it wasn't as bad and they were doing that to rile up the West and get everyone to freak out and crash the market so that China could capitalize because they're ultimately... Um, doing a soft takeover through economic means and purchasing basically everything. They own half the, half of everything anyway, right? So there's some misinformation there. But the fact that governments didn't implement their plans, didn't even consider closing borders early or restricting travel, which is the first place to start because it would interfere with something, is obscene. And then to spend the next nine months, we're still, still doing it. You're not doing what you're told. Okay, Based on the fact, again, this is a cousin of the flu and cold. It's part of the same family. So it's a cousin. And I know people were comparing, oh, this is just like the flu. Well, it's not in certain aspects. It spreads faster. And it targets elderly and other people with specific illnesses very aggressively. And yes, for some people, there were some crazy side effects that... um, they were panicking about because like we've never heard it they figured it out that's called genetic lottery unfortunately for some people for a variety of reasons that we can't i don't think it's worth shutting down society for are going to have adverse effects uh and they just panicked based on a small percentage of people having things that were problematic and they screwed everyone over for it right that's not very scientific now you know what else countries and doctors and scientists could have done is really looked at the vitamin d issue Right here is a. I'm just reading. It's an Atlantic from the Atlanta AJC.com, and honestly, you can find tons of this. This one was written in October 28th, so now things are pretty uh, solidified. But I was reading stuff like with during the first wave about vitamin D. Vitamin D deficiency found in over 80% of COVID-19 patients, meaning that if you're deficient in vitamin D, and I'll link this in the uh, podcast notes if you're deficient in vitamin d you're going to probably more likely end up in the hospitals and a lot of elderly people who spend their entire times in their old folks homes are going to be uh vitamin d deficiency furthermore and i learned this recently i can't remember if i discussed this or not that your skin color actually will determine how much vitamin d you're getting so i did not know this that if you have darker skin you need a higher level of sun outside in order for your body to uh get the correct doses of vitamin d so you find a lot of black people in in colder places in america 
uh, are going to have low vitamin D too. And uh, this has been a consistent thing all over the world, people talking about vitamin D. If governments were serious and experts were serious and medical uh, people were serious about this, instead of calling it racist, follow the science. Oh, shit, vitamin D. Well, guess what? Vitamin D is readily available in most places, in most stores. It's very cheap. You don't need a prescription for it. How could something so simple be such a great solution as far as preventing death? Because it seems pretty consistent from everything I read. Again, I'm just going to post this one article, but you can look up, look at the chronological of these articles popping up everywhere. And I even wrote an earlier post on vitamin D and cited some other stuff. So you're telling me if I had vitamin D high and I'm healthy, even if I get COVID, I'm probably okay. You might still spread it, but you're probably not going to have any significant issues. Correct. I think at this point, while it's still theory, because it hasn't been definitively, it's more on the likelihood of becoming fact that vitamin D deficiency is linked to more moderate or severe complications or issues with COVID. I haven't barely heard governments talk about this. If it's about health and safety, even if you were wrong, there would have been nothing ethically wrong with saying, hey guys, uh, try this vitamin D thing. I think we recommend that everyone make sure they have proper vitamin D and just to throw it in, vitamin C. And yes, you can overdose on vitamin D, but it's really hard. Uh, easier than vitamin C, but you know you can still do it. If I was a government, I would have been saying, oh, uh, yeah, you know what? Make sure you have good supplements. Vitamin D and... Uh, because vitamin D is not specific to a supplement company. You can just get it anywhere, you know, whatever. And we don't even need to get into the quality of vitamins. It's just reality. You just That would have been the best advice globally governments could have done. Well, pharmaceutical companies uh, do not make money off of that unless they're in the supplement business. Uh, it will also make it seem like this isn't as bad as it was because it wasn't. Because vitamin D could have solved a lot of these problems. So these governments are basically failing to follow their plans. Screaming science, data, and medical journal. I'm a medical doctor. Not talking about the obvious, like vitamin D and vitamin C and staying healthy. Obese people were hit hard by this virus. They've never discussed that. Oh, these people are, are dying. Well, if you say that, it's going to cause hatred against obese people. No, it's going to encourage them to live healthier lives. Uh, if we say that darker-skinned people, or Filipinos also get hard, are vitamin D deficient, it's going to cause racism. So we're not going to say, hey, just as a generic statement, everyone needs to have vitamin D. How you choose to dis uh, discuss this, sure, you can you can say it's going to be misinterpreted, but you say it generically. Hey, uh, it seems like vitamin D, which is cheap and readily available, uh, would solve a lot of the problems. So they not only failed to implement their plans, including restricting travel early on, they played politics with it, they are not being honest with the best ways to prevent moderate or severe uh, symptoms, which is the serious issue if they're concerned about overwhelming the hospitals, which again is is to... And I'm going to get into that thing more to do after the masking because it makes a little more sense about my contention with frontline workers, hospitals, and medical doctors. Um, but the reality is, is that you're being gaslit. And then people who don't understand any of this are just jumping on the bandwagon and are like, ah, oh, you're not doing what you're told. There's actually no evidence that lockdowns work to stop the spread outright unless you restrict entry into the country. That's the main one. 
there is no evidence to say that taking vitamin D isn't going to kill people because it's not in most cases unless you have very specific medical things. You, of course, consult a medical doctor for that, for sure. They're not being honest because it doesn't get them brownie points with their constituents or with the general loud assholes on the internet, right? Um, an example here, uh, this was in Men's Health. Again, Men's Health is biased, so you have to accept that. But I guarantee you look into this. New study shows how unlikely you are to catch coronavirus at the gym. Uh, research analysis of more than 62 million gym visits from 14 European countries found that just 487 infections had been reported by operators. Now, there could be a variety of factors, lack of testing, people generally not caring, It'll, but it's in Europe. They're pretty strict, right? I'll just read a little excerpt of this. Again, men's health is, you know, has, has cause for wanting to encourage men's health and allowing gyms to be open. So there is that. There has been a lot of talk about whether gyms should stay open or be forced to close while the world is dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. But a new study has suggested that gyms throughout Europe pose an extremely low risk of infection and should be kept open for the health and well-being of their communities. Having analyzed more than 62 million gym visits, that's a lot of data, by the way. From 14 different countries, that's a lot of groups. Since September, research in Sheffield Hallam University discovered that 487 infections had been reported by operators. Uh, now, I want to know when they started. Here's a criticism of this study, but I'm just it's a good basis. If they did it in September of 2020, that was during a low peak. They needed to do it during the peaks uh, of the thing to see. I uh, find it likely that even if gyms had infections... If you looked, the thing that people need to look at is hospital visits and deaths. I can almost with just real strong confidence say that people who work out regularly, people who are nutritional, uh, think about nutrition in their supplements, think about nutrition in their values, think about everything, are even if they get COVID, are going to be fine. As actually you find talking to most people who aren't elderly or with serious complications, they're like, it was fine. Uh, I felt worse on a flu before. You see, hear these stories everywhere. But the media doesn't want to talk about it. The governments don't want to talk about it because then more people are going to say it did not take anything seriously. But again, the early data said it's the elderly and the vulnerable. Well, who's that? It was elderly and unhealthy people, whether by their own fault of life choices or whether due to a specific illness. And not talking about this stuff honestly because it might offend people. I mean, it's fuck off. You're not encouraging healthy well-being. It's better. Right? Um... And not to mention the legalities of all these lockdowns that are not even based in science uh, uh, much at all because they're just doing things, right? Uh, let me just see. So here's an article I found on... And, and so as a citizen, before I, I'll set this up, as a citizen, um, you should be concerned not just about the health and well-being, but also the legal and financial well-being. Because while many of us, uh, due to no fault of our own, are benefiting in Canada at least from consistent payment from the government, the long-term ramifications of just printing money are a problem. And there may be more legal things because you can't just do what you want as a government, right? Here, so this was written in May, by the way, a guy named Clark Wilson on uh, Mundak, connecting knowledge and people. Uh, May 15, 2020, by, uh, sorry, Brent McLennan, Clark Wilson, LLP. So that's the legal firm, right? For the past two, so again, context, this was back earlier on in May. For the past two months, most businesses have been focused entirely on managing their responses to pandemics and significant stress placed upon their workforce. 
Finances and prospects. In many instances, legal claims that had been contemplated prior to the pandemic were put on hold or disputes arising during or a result of the lockdown have been set aside for a variety of reasons. The severe curtailing of our court operations, the temporary suspension and limitation periods in which to commence an action and other procedural rules have also combined to reduce the appetite of businesses to assert their rights and seek uh, appropriate remedies. So, etc. This actually has nothing to do with COVID itself. It's saying by locking this down, you're going to create a nightmare later on with the legal system. Now, with that being said, let's read one that actually has to do with the pandemic specific shutdowns. Pandemic shutdowns of small businesses unfair, Ontario judge says. That was in December 7th, 2020, Post Media News. Uh, an Ontario Superior Court judge says the pandemic lockdown unfairly punishes small businesses while letting big retailers open. So what I'm getting at is the poor planning aspect. The knee-jerk reaction, shut everything down, panic. They did it without any thought of all the negative ramifications. And I... I don't have needs. I screwed up and not bookmarking enough stuff that I was uh, reading throughout the years. I only have a few things, and I'll link what I do. But if you look at even early in the lockdowns, the people are screaming about this isn't just about health and safety. There's other factors. So we have one thing talking about the legal ramifications is going to dramatically affect our legal process later on to do with stuff already there. Uh, the, big businesses obviously are doing well because they have the money and capital to stay afloat. And small businesses are at the mercy of whatever governments. Now, again, in Canada, offers some support, but for a lot of businesses, that's not. It's basically the attitude that you need to survive or you'll fail. You know, go fuck yourself. You're not big enough to care about anyway because you don't not give enough to our GDP. We don't care about you. People were screaming about the other consequences of lockdowns. If you look now, again, I don't have any uh, links up right now, but if you look at the mental health effect, the suicides went up, the opioid effects went up, and people were screaming about this, and everyone is getting ignored, saying, you're just a conspiracy theory. No, fuck you. Anyone, any Karen who's still screaming about the lockdown probably has money in their bank account, uh, doesn't, isn't thinking about the mental health damages. Imagine, imagine if our government's Globally, again, it's not a Trump problem, it's not a Trudeau problem, it's not a Boris. They're all fucked up, except for the few, Taiwan, etc. Imagine if they followed their plans from the start. They could have easily traced who's coming in and out with sickness, quarantined appropriately. The spread would have slowed down. The hospitals wouldn't have been overwhelmed. Oh, wait, were the hospitals overwhelmed? Not that I can find. Yeah, you find stories of nurses and doctors who are overwhelmed because they have a bad week. And then they post that. And you say, look, here's a nurse, here's a doctor. If you talk to a nurse or doctor on the front line, of course they're freaking out. Now, in Canada, we have socialized health care, which is good and bad. Most hospitals were poorly funded in the first place. There's triage going all the time for a lot of things. Now, if you have a major issue, major acute issue, heart, head, uh, cancer, they know how to deal with this stuff. Uh, cancer is not acute. It's chronic. But they know how to deal with that. Soft tissue injuries, knees, elbows, quality of life stuff, they're terrible at it. Terrible. Waiting times. Doctors don't know shit about nutrition. Right? So how many of you know a doctor or nurse? A lot. Doctors and nurses will say, I'm freaking out. I can't handle it. By the way, there's a lot of uh, doctors and nurses in the states who don't want to take the vaccine or because they don't care. I'll get to that later. And there's a lot of doctors and nurses in BC who are jumping the queues because they believe the government's decision to spread the uh, 
gap between the things in spite of the studies is wrong and they're and they're like, oh, we're going to get it. Anyway, I'll get to that later. But how many of you know an epidemiologist? How many of you know uh, an immunologist? Probably not many. Because they'll talk in less definitive terms outside of the political narrative. Well, there's this thing to consider. There's that thing to consider. We should do this. Here's why I think that. Doctor and nurses in the front lines freaking out. All over the internet, there's doctors and nurses that are not freaking out because they have less people are scared of the hospitals, so the ERs, less people are going to the ERs. Well, a lot of places created separate ER, ICUs, COVID, they're overwhelmed. So here we have a problem where where is the money to bolster these hospitals? Why aren't they extending, getting more people in or bringing military doctors in or bringing more people in to release the load? A lot of these are systemic problems that were there before COVID. But we can just blame these problems on COVID, can't we? Even though mismanagement of the government system and and, and special interest, the unions arguing for one thing, governments arguing for another, and in the end, the public gets screwed. Now, of course, if you live in a country uh, like America where they have a mess of a medical system, then it gets even more complicated. COVID has actually shown that there are deep flaws in our medical systems, deep flaws in our governmental systems, and deep flaws in your lack of scientific knowledge. And instead of trying to figure these out, governments are protecting themselves by lying and gaslighting anyone who questions what they're doing. Based on evidence, lockdowns were not a good idea for this virus. Again, I've said it a million times, aerosolized Ebola is a problem. It's a real problem. Hopefully that never happens. But generally speaking, and you can look it up, a virus will either choose due to evolution to spread fast or it will kill fast. Something that has a high mortality rate, like SARS-CoV-1, like 40% of people who got it died, is not going to spread as easy, which means they're easier to, to subdue versus something like the common cold or flu, which generally doesn't kill anyone but the weakest biological people with illnesses or old age sorry if that offends you that's just life this fear of death people need to understand it's a reality of the world we live in and i'm not going to get all existential in that one but there's just been a general failure at our leadership to follow plans a general failureship in the medical system to acknowledge they're poorly managed and structured and they're not set up to deal with emergencies. You look at any major emergency like an earthquake or you look at floods, how poorly people respond initially. It's just, it's garbage. And the gaslighting that has been going on on the internet from our leadership, blaming the public for not doing what we're told is an absurdity. Yet, should you be going to giant parties? No, you're being an idiot. Should places have shut down restaurants? No. Luckily, they haven't shut it down here. Should places still be doing lockdowns? No. Take all the money that's being lost and put it into the medical system to boost it so that they can better handle these situations. That's critical thinking. Blaming the public for not doing what they're told. Well, why didn't you close the borders to travelers without testing? Hmm? That's on the government. What, what power does the average citizen have to do that other than not travel? There will always be people who are going to travel if you don't if you don't say no outright. It's just stop saying, oh, they're selfish. No, that's just human nature. So what you have to do is create proper procedures to account for the behavior of people. Now, in, in, when I was doing occupational health and safety, you have engineering controls, administrative control, PPE. Personal protective gear is the last stage. 
they've kind of skipped from they 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 haven't really done the middle stages. They're still not allowed doing the middle stages in a lot of places. They just went to full authoritarian social engineering, full lockdowns because the gray area is too hard for them to do. It's absurd. It's absurd, right? Here's a thought: engineering control. We need to limit who's coming in out of the country. Administrative control. We need to put testing in place. And engineering control would be only certain things can come out. Administrative control uh, is sort of a mix. Uh, We need policies in place to ensure proper testing. The engineering control would be the testing itself. We need policy, what is essential travel, what is not essential travel, etc. But a lot of the restrictions, like we need negative tests to come into the country in Canada, was never done until now. What kind of incompetent... Oh, wait, I know who our leader is. The most incompetent, corrupt person we've had in a long time. But, you know, stays in because the opposition doesn't want to vote him out. Even though everyone agrees what a moron he is. Like, there's more consensus on that than the Donald Trump thing is just not inflamed as much in Canada because people are hate politics in Canada. But you get the idea I'm getting. I mean, I went on a lot. I could be very more specific. I probably could have done even a lot more research on this. But it's just, it's all out there. I want you to critically think... Don't be a conspiracy theorist, okay? You need to, to really understand in detail, right? And, and I do want to see the Justice Center of Canada, government data, government data. I forgot to look at this earlier. Shows lockdowns more deadly. This is December 3rd, 2020, and I'll link it, right? It's basically saying lockdowns are more deadly. Of course, the Justice Institute Center of Canada has got multiple lawsuits against federal and provincial governments for the insanity People are yelling at them. Politicians just care about themselves. You can see that, by the way, across Canada and the world as politicians ignore their own lockdown travel with little or no ramifications. Politicians need to be more accountable, way more accountable, way more accountable. Anytime anyone has a position of authority, you need to be more accountable, directly, easier. You can't just say, well, everyone's going to make mistakes. It's absurd. Anyways, the whole point of this part was that government screwed up. They didn't follow their own plans. They didn't lie about their mistakes. They politicized things. And then they riled up the Karen army and then caused people on the other side not to trust them even more. I don't like government. I'll trust or not trust them appropriately based on what are you doing and what's the actual evidence. They screwed up and they blamed it on the public. They're lying about the data. They're misrepresenting the data, right? They're using appeal to authority way too much, which is not an argument, right? Again, the data. How many people are infected? How many people are uh, dying? How many people are hospitalized? If the issue is the hospitals, well, we need to protect the hospitals and build their up their ability to defend it. Okay, period. Sorry, um, they didn't really do that very well. And in the states, by the way, where they did do field hospitals, they were sad, mostly empty. Huh, that's messed up. Yeah. This virus did kill more people than a normal flu, but where do the flu and cold again? They're misrepresenting the data intentionally. They are. Because otherwise, you would see way if, if when they're actually doing testing, you see the massive spike in the second wave of how many people have COVID to the first one, when the first wave of people did not uh, have testing in place. So the spike wasn't as high. So they'd be like, this is deadly. You get it. You're going to die. Now on the second wave, you have massive amounts. They knew there was issue with testing. They knew pe- more people had it. You can look this up. They're misrepresenting the data. They're gaslighting. And they're causing fear and panic. Conquer and divide. 
and and people are being morons at all levels about this. This virus is not the end of the world. We never needed to shut down. We just needed uh, close the borders, uh, restrict traveling, get testing in place for coming, going, boost the hospitals. We didn't need to do this craziness. So the first part is just really talking about how badly governments handled, how badly our systems handled it. And by the way, on systems, read the book Anti-Fragile, who really discusses really discusses, and I'll talk about it a little later, uh, the problem with our current systems that just keep on going, keep on going. And he rags on the medical system a lot globally and the medical people a lot and governments a lot. It's written in 2012 by Nassim Taleb, anti-fragile, super good. Anyways, I think I've kind of granted enough about this particular one. Uh, I'm going to put a pause on that and we are going to listen to the next one, which is masks, critical thinking, context, masks, and stats. So let's just take a sec. Critical thinking and COVID-19, context, masks, and stats. First of all, Happy New Year, though given what's going on, I am not sure it'll be too much different from 2020 at least during the first few months, rather than doing some New Year's resolution post, which, let's be honest, is cliché, I am simply going to continue with my series on critical thinking and COVID-19. The first being the initial response to the virus. You can go back and listen. I would like to first start with the fact that I believe Western governments have been lying and gaslighting the public since the beginning. Not for the health and safety of the general public, for what is best, but what is for best for the system, medical and political. I believe it is actually quite easy to prove. In my previous post, I discussed the fact that there was no way Western governments did not have pandemic plans in place after SARS hit in 2003. In fact, in Canada, even mainstream media has picked up on this, as can be seen in the Globe and Mail as early as April 2020 which itself is being far too kind to the government. In it, the author reminds the public, CPHO, Dr. Teresa Tam, Canada version of Dr. Anthony Fauci, co-wrote a paper in 2006 discussing pandemics with regards to Canada specifically. In a 2010 documentary, Outbreak, Anatomy of a Plague, Dr. Tam can be seen in recordings discussing the very Orwellian methods for controlling the public in the event of pandemics, or as she would prefer, and a lot of these people do. Which again shows that there were plans, which basically every Western government failed to implement even at a basic level. Which, as previously mentioned, should have started with closing the borders to anyone who tests positive or some variation of border restrictions at the very least. Most governments failed to do that months into the early obvious pandemic that was starting. So why do I say governments globally are gaslighting? They are constantly blaming the spread of the virus on the public failing to do what they are told. For all the Karens, if you don't know what it is, look it up, unhealthy people or those with anxiety, this has been the talking point. Just do as you're told so I can get back to my life. Yet it is morally wrong on all levels. Because had governments actually implemented their plan back in January, February 2020, we would have not needed lockdowns at all, which don't even seem to work as many places with extreme lockdowns, such as New York, LA, and England, are seeing massive spikes in the second wave as expected. So did anyone in the world get it right? 
Yes, for sure. The best examples are Taiwan and South Korea. There are many reasons for their overall success, one of which, it seems, their medical systems are not overly corrupt, like ours, but I won't get into that. For the purpose of this article, I am going to talk about Taiwan. First, I would like to acknowledge that Taiwan is an island, which, like other island nations, like Australia, make it far easier to control who's coming into the country. Countries like Canada and the U.S. never actually close the land borders, allowing more than 7 million border crossings, not knowing if people are positive or negative. So yes, islands had a much easier time restricting travel, although it is still policy-related. So what else did Taiwan do? The first thing is they implemented their pandemic plan that they had developed post-SARS. They were hit hard in 2003, like Toronto, in Canada, and they learned their lesson then. They immediately closed their borders, implemented testing when it was reasonably impossible, and told the public to wear masks. In fact, they even worked with private companies to ensure that masks were available for everyone. More about this can be heard on NPR's Planet Money episode from December 23rd called Fork in the Government. Yes, that's right, masks. If you remember, at this time, you were told by Fauci, Tam, and the World Health Organization that, no, you should not wear masks because you don't need them. All of whom later changed their minds, with Fauci even going on record to admit that he had lied, and then justified the reasons. Seems like Taiwan did the right thing early by shutting down travel and telling people to wear masks. So why did the global experts lie? In Fauci's admission, he rationalizes that it was a decision to protect the medical community plain and simple. This was due to fears surrounding to do supply chains, which again were common knowledge, as have I have previously discussed. Like all COVID decisions, it seems they were based solely on a protect the medical system and the public next mentality, something that is, is open for debate from a perspective of morality. This is an approach that, as we have seen, has created poorly thought out garbage policy. The same methodology can be found in the overuse of ventilators early on, which allegedly was done to protect medical staff from the chance of the virus aerosolizing, not about the patients. While ventilators certainly are needed for those who cannot breathe on their own, those with severe symptoms in the hospital were put in medically induced comas and put on ventilators, which later was found to cause a higher death rate and not actually have the desired effect. Yes, that's right. Early in the virus, the high death rates, even for younger people, was due to a lack of actual understanding. Or medical error, if you want to call it that. But these deaths were not recorded as such. They were simply recorded as COVID deaths. This means that they lied for their own benefit. And while you can make an ethical case for their methods, it really is this system-first protection failed to achieve any reasonable results and just caused chaos. But you know... It's all the public's fault for not doing what you were told. They screwed up, but it's your fault. Gaslighting at its finest. And that the constant shifting goalposts and changing information, and they wonder why large groups of public have lost faith in experts. Side note, if you're an expert and wonder why people don't want to listen to you, a lot of the time it's because of this kind of garbage. Masks. Okay, enough ranting. Let's actually talk masks. If you recall, I briefly addressed masks in a post way back in the beginning of 2020. Assuming you won't read it, a reminder. Way back in 2008, I completed a two-year program in Occupational Health and Safety, OHS, 
within which there are a lot of discussion of masks for the workplace, how to use them properly, and what the different ratings are for. So let's start with this. The best argument for wearing masks is a simple one. In general, they can't hurt. Yes, there are some people that can't wear them for whatever reason, but for the most part, they won't hurt. In most cases, we have several variations of non-contact face shields that are still better than nothing. I also agree they are a pain to wear all the time, as I personally find it difficult when I have to wear them for more than an hour or so. So let's not pretend it's not that they are very unnatural feeling, because they are. The other thing is, I am also against outright mask mandates, for COVID at least, as I never like top-down control of this level of daily life. Arresting one person in a store because they don't wear masks is an absurdity. If it bothers you, don't go near the person. Whenever I see a person outdoors by themselves walking with a mask on, it drives me nuts as these people don't really understand how masks work and why this situation is absurd. However, if you are in confined space for longer than 15 minutes with people such as a small room, specifically those whom you do not know and will be close to, then masks are probably a good idea. Where social distancing is possible, it's not always possible, so governments need to get over that, then I am not a fan of mandatory requirements especially when you can socially distance. So how do you know they do work as a general concept? Well, countries that implemented mass earlies are doing much better, by a lot. They didn't even need to mass do massive lockdowns. Yes, I am aware that countries like Taiwan have a far more compliant populace, but that makes it all the more important that politicians and experts must stop lying, as this is what degrades our trust. You can also anecdotally assert that masks do work as hospitals have been using medical masks for years for a reason. For viruses like COVID, which are spread via particulates, spit, breath, moisture, medical masks will work just fine when you are close to people, for the most part. As mentioned, though, N95 masks are better and respirators even better still. So when don't masks work? Well, if in fact COVID-19 was aerosolized, as in it can just float around in the air, then the first two options wouldn't really be effective. Which is probably why, despite clean procedures in hospitals, germs still spread throughout the building. If COVID was in fact as bad as they were claiming, you would probably need a half-face respirator or better. When it comes to respirators, you have two general types, open systems and closed systems. A closed system is more like a hazmat suit built uh, in oxygen, much like you see in the movies, which is why you would want to wear one when dealing with, say, Ebola or other deadly things. An open system one is a respirator which still allows you to breathe freely with the air around you. A filter doing the work when you breathe out or in, depending on the model. The reason why medical masks and N95 don't work 100% is because they're not perfect seals which means you could still come into contact with the virus under the right circumstances, especially if it was aerosolized. One of the things experts were saying at the beginning to justify not wearing masks was that the average person won't wear them properly anyway, which, while true, is an arrogant and silly stance. Why? Well, in OHS, you have something called fit testing. It is a training method to ensure individuals know the feeling of their mask when they are wearing it properly with the correct filters. They make sure you put on the respirator with the right fit and then crack banana oil ampule which smells horrible. So bad you can't fake the response unless you have no sense of smell.
Why is it this important? Well, if you're on a work site that has, say, H2S gas, and there is a leak, you don't want to have, a, and you don't have a proper mask seal on your mask, you can drop dead rather quickly. The fact you don't need a respirator or better for COVID means it is not as bad as they have been making it out to be. As it should be obvious by now, you will not drop dead on the spot from getting COVID. But masks will, as a general rule, reduce transmission. To what degree? Who knows? But I would definitely wear them if I am close to a vulnerable people, age 60 plus, obese people, and those with diabetes or similar issues. Even if there were only 10 or 20% effective, then they would still be worth wearing when appropriate. But screaming about masks after lying about them, then saying, I'm sorry, you are, uh, uh, then you're just being a Karen, especially if you don't even understand how they work. That is unacceptable. Imagine a world in which they had followed their plans and got masks to the public early, where those who wanted to wear one did and those who didn't, didn't. You most likely would have seen a very different world today. Stats. So since this post is already fairly long, I'm going to keep things fairly short here. I will expand further on this information on the next post. I'm going to start with the great presentation from CBC. You can click on the link in the post. One thing they did was be honest. They presented the information which included breakdown by age in an easy to understand graphical comparison, something governments seemingly refused to do. This was compiled after the first wave in Canada as of June 8, 2020, and I find it highly likely that you would find similar ratios globally as indications of who the vulnerable groups were and are. But let's look at the numbers as they were presented in this article. As June 7th, as of June 7, 3:30 p.m., 95,699 Canadians had been diagnosed with the novel coronavirus, but only 35% were considered to be sick. 57 had recovered and 8% died. If you take the number as a whole, then it would have been 8%. When you break it down by age group, things change. So let's talk. According to the article, with 7,848 deaths, COVID-19 is on track to be the sixth highest cause of death in this year of Canada. What about the other ones? In only five months, the disease has killed Many, as many as the flu, pneumonia, and bronchitis combines. Again, it depends how you actually record the deaths, but let's accept that fact for this. The elderly and those with pre-existing conditions are most at risk of dying from COVID-19. The deaths are grouped by age 80 and older, 60 to 79, 40 to 59, and 39 and younger. Those who are 80 and older account for 72% of deaths in Canada, but only 18% of the cases are in this age group, meaning if elderly get it, they are the most likely to die. So when you present 95,699 at 8% of deaths, they are almost all in the 80 plus group and those 40 to 59 and 39 and younger only make up 3% of those deaths. So essentially, if you are under the age of 60, you are actually statistically less than a lot less than 1% to die of it by a lot if you actually break down the numbers in detail. There is more for anyone willing to read that article and of course, this is older data. However, it is clear who the vulnerable groups are. 
It is not the general public. If you are under 60, you should not be living in fear still. Yet, you are still being told it is. If you are under 60 and healthy, not obese, not diabetic, etc., you are probably more likely to die by a car than anything else. If you are under 40 and die, you probably are just likely to win the lottery. Didn't do the math, but you get the idea. Now, I cannot seem to easily find numbers on the Canadian CDC website, which is shocking. But the BC CDC website, which is up to date, if you check it like beyond that post date, it'll be up to date. They do not discuss age at all. Weird. They say, listen to the experts, look at the data. And then they ignore huge sections of it, which is people under 60 are not a significant risk group, even if you get COVID. So let's do a comparison. If I simply Google BC COVID data, I actually get it more on the Canadian data from Google, not the Canadian CDC. Again, very hard to compare accurate data when the data is presented differently everywhere under different metrics. Part of the confusion. I get a chart that basically shows the positive test rates for Canada. Test rates, not hospitalization. It does not show data by age, doesn't show hospitalization rate, doesn't show death rate. Did I mention there was a higher death rate for people under 80 in the first wave due to overuse of ventilators? There is a graph here. So you see a much higher rate of infection, which makes it look in the second wave, which makes it look even bad, even though the death rate is actually significantly less or has stayed flat or flattened the curve, the intention. The reason the rate is so much higher due to the, in the second wave is because they're testing people. But the overall death rate is actually down. But if I look at this graph, it looks scary. In this case of British Columbia, where I live, though deaths spiked in the second wave, almost all of them were in long-term care homes among the elderly. But you know, everyone is still dying of this thing, right? Well, actually, no. It's actually something like 80% of people who died were in the older population as an 80%, you know, 75 or older. It is unfortunate, obviously, but it is what it is. Yet government policies don't address this. They shut down everything or most things because it is easier. Because it is easier for them, not the public. So why do they focus on the infection rate and not other factors? One, it is easier. Two, it creates more fear in the public by inflating the overall risk from a perceptional point, which then gets people to comply and enrages the Karen army against those who do not. But science and data, right? When policy isn't being made based on the data, but more to protect the medical personnel and the system, this indicates they are not actually being scientific. After all, look at Taiwan. They implemented simple plans early on, and they can continue doing what they want, including martial arts. Before I wrap up this post, I would like to point out that the second wave, there was a massive drop on COVID rates on December 25th and January 1st, not because COVID disappeared, obviously, but because I assume they stopped testing because it's a holiday. This shows the effect of testing has on the numbers. If they had tested earlier in the first spike properly, the, it would have been epically massive infection rates. But since governments really screwed up, they didn't have testing ready, which resulted in the accusations that the numbers were too high or too low. The infection rates were most definitely too low in the first wave, as measured by the numbers. But the death rate was probably way too high 
due to how they recorded them. Again, recorded as medical error, recorded as they came in with pneumonia, then got COVID in the hospital because of bad protocol, etc. You record these different ways, you get different statistical results. Again, the medical community is not likely to admit that the overuse of ventilators, medical error, was the cause of death for many of the early patients. It was totally on COVID, according to them. But again, it's all the public's fault. Conclusion. I know these posts are long, but the constant attempt to oversimplify these things in a tweet or a photo without exploring the facts properly is the reason why the situation is so screwed up in the world. Not just because of COVID, but because no one wants to actually educate themselves anymore. You just retweet, repost, and don't follow up. How many stories were retracted in the media that you didn't follow up with? Teaching critical thinking is my thing, as it is a principal's first approach. I know it's hard, but if you want to navigate this confusing world and topic, you must think for yourself, sometimes. That requires knowledge, critical thinking, and, well, honesty. To sum up this post, you have been lied to and gaslit. Governments in the West have failed to do their one job. Well, one of many. Mass do work as a general tactic. Manipulating data is bad. Of course, if you only read this part or listen, you failed to do critical thinking. Next post will be on vaccines, testing, and probably more data. Written by Jonathan Fader. For training online, visit www.utkmu. If you're in the Metro Vancouver area, come and learn from us in person, www.urbantacticskm.com. Okay, did I mention that um, we were talking about gaslighting a little bit? Yeah, I kind of went more ranty on that. Now, again, I uh, out of high school, like many, I didn't know what I wanted to do with life. I ended up doing occupational health and safety for a while, and we learned a lot about masks. The thing about masks, they work and they don't work. Depends how you wear them, depends on the context, depends what it is. As far as I can tell that we know, this is not an airborne virus. Aerosolized, maybe, if you spit hard enough. With a basic cloth or a medical mask, it will eventually spread if one person has it and the other person has it. The question is, uh, just a starting point, if... Mass reduce the spread by 10% or 20%. We don't know what the numbers are. We have no idea. To say 100%, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. We don't know because people aren't wearing full face mask, closed system respirators, okay? Um, we just don't know uh, as of yet. And yeah, sorry, I just said pause there. We don't actually have the accurate numbers. Is how, how responsible uh, masks are for reduction. Can they? Certainly. For example, in Asian countries, even before this, when you're sick, it was expected you wear a mask because it's impolite to potentially spread cold or flu. You could still go out just with a mask on to be considerate. Right? So there was nothing wrong with suggesting to wear a mask. Here's where things went really sideways. Don't wear masks, Dr. Fauci said. Don't wear masks, that Alana chick said. Don't wear masks. Blah, 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 blah. When you lie from the start, even if you think you're doing it for a legitimate moral reason, you create doubt. And that's why people started saying masks don't work. So masks can work. Again, how well, we don't know. If everyone's in hazmat suits, yeah, the thing wasn't going to spread. That's not going to happen. Okay. And yes, there's different levels of masks, as I, I discussed in the article. But I think ethically and morally, in all ways, shapes, or form, I can say that them lying about people not don't wear masks at all, doesn't do anything, was 
a mistake. Ethically and morally. You lying sacks of crap. So why did they do this? They did this to protect frontline workers, the governments, and the medical system. Because they knew there was a problem. They knew. They all knew. So people saying they didn't know. There was a supply chain issue problem if there's ever high demand. They knew this. It was in Michael's office. I can't say his name. Michael's book. From years ago, governments knew, experts knew this was always going to be a problem and governments weren't doing anything about it. In fact, again, in BC, they never replaced the expired stuff. They just didn't buy new stuff. Okay, so they lied to protect themselves. And they could say, well, if our frontline workers are going to drop dead, if this virus was bad enough that frontline workers were affected that bad, guess what? They would be wearing hazmat suits. And if you actually look, I'm sorry to say that the people... uh, who died, who were frontline workers, were unhealthy, a lot of them. Because if this thing was as bad as they're saying, frontline workers would have been dead, like en masse, all over the world. But the ones who were dying, unfortunately, were generally unhealthy. We can't talk about that. So I just want to read in a little expert. From, remember I was talking about the book, and I'm sure they'll forgive me for this because... Uh, I'm supporting the sales of Anti-Fragile. So I'm going to read a little on, uh, like this chapter is amazing, but of course if I read too much of it, then I'll get in trouble. But chapter seven uh, is naive intervention. So let's just talk about this. talking about, and he goes in detail, the wrong with arrogance and ego in the medical field. He's arrogant. I don't care if you're a doctor. I've had so many negative influences with doctors because they're just, they're egotistical or they have to do what the system tells you or they're not honest or they don't know enough. So anyways, it's called naive intervention. A tonsillectomy to kill time. Never do today what can be left to tomorrow. Let's predict revolutions after they happen. Lessons in blackjack. So consider this need to do something. We need to do something. Won't somebody please say the children? That's not, I should, let me read this properly and then I can add my comments after so you don't get confused between what he wrote and what I'm saying. So consider this need to do something. Through an illustrative example, in the 1930s, 1930s, 389 children were presented to the New York City doctors. 174 of them were recommended tonsillectomies. The remaining 215 children were again presented to doctors, and 99 said they need to do the surgery. When the remaining 116 children were shown to yet another third set of doctors, 52 were recommended the surgery. Note, there is morbidity in 2-4% to of the cases. Today, not then, as the risks of surgery were, even, were very bad at the time, right? To, meaning today it's 2-4%. to 4%. Back then it was worse. Anyways, and that the death occurs in about every 15,000 such operations. And you can get an idea about the break-even point between medical gains and determined. This story allows us to witness problematic homicide at work. Every child who undergoes an unnecessary operation has a shortening of her life expectancy. This example not only gives us an idea of how harm is done by those who intervene, but worse, it illustrates the lack of awareness of the need to look for a break-even point between benefits and harm. Let us call this urge to help naive intervention. Next, we examine its cost. Right? This chapter was brilliant, by the way. What it's basically saying is that I'm a doctor. I must do good. I must do no harm. I must do what is best. But by intervening, you've made things worse. So what that story tells, in the 19-fucking-30s, 
They knew this was a problem. They had a group of children presented to doctors. Hey, uh, we need to do tonsillectomies on this amount. So that means the first group of doctors decided that that half, next half did not need the surgery. Now, they could have made false positives, false negatives. But I don't think it's as many as the next, when the, when the remaining group went to another doctor's, he's telling me the first group of doctors got it so wrong that that next group of children needed that many people were off? I don't think so. And then the next one, they did even more, which means way more people needed got surgery because it's a measurable thing. We're doing our job. We did a surgery. Look at how many surgeries we did. We did our job. This is ego talking. How many people got the tonsillectomy surgery in the 1930s that didn't need it? And if 2.4% of people die, that means the more people that are getting recommended the surgeries, even if they didn't need it, the more likely you are dying. Medical error kills a lot of people. If, if, if statistics were correct and honest, I think medical error would consistently be in the top 10 in every country, especially in less uh, established countries of things. Because doctors, I can't wait till the day the diagnosis is done by a machine, to be honest. They'll be more accurate. Hey, blood test, scan, boom, here's an accurate portrayal. Because ego kicks in. This is why they were fucked up about the masks. Don't wear them early. They lied to protect themselves, to make sure that they had it, and they didn't care about the general public. Again, the ethics behind this is if the frontline workers are uh, all dead, who's going to help you? Well, if this virus was that bad, you need more than masks, you jackasses. You need hazmat suits and as you see that frontline even in the first wave frontline workers were not dropping dead left right and center yes some were because statistically they're the most likely to have it and by the way in one of the articles i i cite a cbc article and and, uh, other things about old folks dying the people spreading the virus in old folks homes are the workers the healthcare workers and by the way we still don't know if the vaccine is going to prevent that the healthcare workers did they implement uh a plan to Make sure that prior to anybody entered the uh, healthcare tested negative. They may have done something like that. Here's what you should have done. Sorry, it sucks. And the government should have spe- uh, stepped up and paid the difference in order to prevent death. If you're a healthcare worker, you get one paid day work where you come to work, you live in temporary housing, you test as soon as you show up when your test result is negative. Then you work for the next four days and you have to stay on site because the problem was them going to and from their homes every day. They test negative one day and positive the next. Boom, they go in, spread it. Well, but that's too hard on the... Well, hey, if it was genuinely about saving lives, the healthcare workers should have been compensated appropriately to prevent the spread by making them live in temporary work settlements while they're out in the workplace. And then they could have done four days on, five days on, like something like that. Was that even on the table? No. It's too complicated, too expensive. Well, I can guarantee you the amount of money that governments are forking out in, in, in compensation or not compensation or economic losses far exceeds the amount of money if they'd spent, right? So the mask thing, going back to it, they lied because they need to do something. Do no harm. I don't like do no harm. I like Google's original thing, do no evil. There's a difference. And now they have actually switched to do no harm. Do no harm is very different morally. Don't be an asshat. Don't be selfish. Don't be evil. Is very different than do no harm. By the way, you recommending surgery, 
you're recommending lockdowns because it's easier for you or you get some benefit is unethical. I want to protect the medical field. Do lockdowns. I want to protect the medical field. Other people shouldn't have masks. I want to protect all these people. Well, the experts had said this is going to spread no matter what you do. So basically, that was not even morally relative if you're actually following the evidence. This was a virus that was never going to wipe out 30% of the population, 20%, even 10 like they were saying earlier. By the way, that early study from uh, Oxford was proven wrong two weeks in by peer review, but the media had already jumped on it. Right? This appeal to authority, which I was talking about, is absurd. I'm a doctor. How much do you know about nutrition? How much do you know about epidemiology? How much do you know about immunology? How much do you know about psychology? How much? They don't know. All they can say, doctors and nurses are sitting there saying, I'm overworked. I'm overstressed. Okay, well, for large part, that's to do with the system and lack of doctors, lack of uh, nurses, lack of uh, funding to keep this at optimal levels and a general failure of the systems and the voter because you, you vote these schmucks in for not taking emergency preparedness serious enough and not putting enough money in preventative stuff before it happens. Before it happens. And this furthers the gaslighting because Fauci even came out and said they lied. Experts all said they lied. Well, I knew they lied at the start. It was very easy to tell because if you look at their writings from before COVID regarding this stuff and you look at writings after, it's like, ooh, they've changed their narrative, right? This is not conspiracy theory. Just take the effort to look at what they were saying and doing before saying and doing after previous ones, yet we're still seeing mass lockdowns all over the world. It's garbage, right? Now, in the mask one, I did cite the what they did in Taiwan. Again, it's an island. Island nation, easy to, easy to control. A populace that generally does a very good job at doing what they're told, right? <clears throat> Makes sense. Asian culture is like that. Here's the deal. Taiwan and South Korea. While their collectiveness of the culture allows them governments to say X and people do it because that was, why did it work over that? Well, their population listens to the public. Hey, you know what else they do in those countries? Remember a few years ago, like South Korea did really well too. It's not an island nation. I mean, kind of is because their northern border is pretty <laughs> pretty closed off. So it functionally is an island nation. Um, and by the way, these are countries with extremely dense cities. Like uh, you have two major cities in South Korea, one or two major cities in Taiwan, high density in population, which means the closer you are, the more it's going to spread. Here's the thing. Remember a few years ago, South Korea, the prime minister, it was a woman, was caught up in a corruption scandal. And I say woman because everyone's like, women are better leaders. Well, she got caught corruption to do with uh, one of the big electronic companies, I forgot. The public demanded her to get the hell out of office. She was removed because she was corrupt. Their countries don't tolerate corruptions, which means if we establish we're not going to tolerate corruptions at the political leaders, we're not as a people. In, in Canada and America, we keep tolerating it. Are you more or less likely to listen to your leaders if you know they're less corrupt? The answer is more. You, you can keep saying it's just the collectivist attitude of the society, but it's also they trust their leaders more in democratic societies where they're, they get rid of corruption quickly. No one's talking about that, right? They did the right things in those. So in, 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 I talk about the episode of uh, NPR Planet Money with Fork the government. When the government realized we can't handle it, uh, here's a private thing. We had nothing to do with it, a private company to do with tracking masks. Uh, it's doing really well. Maybe we should work with this person 
to, to figure out this problem because it's not about us, the government. It's about solving the problem for the public. And they did really good. Taiwan's numbers are great. South Korea's numbers are great. And I don't want to... New Zealand, I do not like the Prime Minister of New Zealand. I think she's... A, I think she's an authoritarian, really, because of the gun stuff, among other stuff. But it's an island nation that's sparsely populated. You close the borders, tell her to not move around, of course it's going to work. Now you reopen internal motion and you limit who can come into the country. You need a negative test. Guess what? Going to disappear. Governments like Canada and America say, we can't close the border because of this. Yeah, you can. Do it. Half of your military is sitting around doing nothing in Canada. American military is not doing anything right now. Just put them all along the border. Boom, people can't cross. And I bet you you'd catch a lot of illegal border crossing as well. right? So I think I made my point about gaslighting from the government. So they're not being honest. You have to look at everything these people are saying before, after, during. You have to look at why they're doing it. They didn't want to be honest that they screwed up with the supply chains. There's evidence everywhere. Not conspiracy theory. And for the people saying masks don't work, they do. Are they? If everyone wears masks, is this virus going to go away? No. If everyone wears masks, is it going to completely stop the spread of the virus? No. Again, you have to be in hazmat suits for that to happen. But is wearing a mask a good idea? Yeah. Is Here's the thing, though. Is wearing a mask going to reduce your ability to breathe as a general rule? Yeah, it is. And I just made an observational thing about wearing a mask. I, I was watching myself or paying attention to myself and I was watching others. They People change their breathing. They're not breathing as, as much as they were. Now, I've seen various stuff to do with uh, masks and this and that and these things doctors are doing. Again, appeal to authority. Their testing methodology is not good. It looks good on a YouTube video, but it's not good. Right? If I have a tight seal around my mask with the proper filtration, the good chances of me spreading or getting the virus is unlikely if it's done properly. But again, nothing is for sure. If you're wearing masks all day, the human factor kicks in. You're going to make mistakes. As I said in the thing, fit testing, a lot of people don't know how to wear masks properly anyways. And to be honest, as you see, to be fair, frontline workers with the masks, they post these pictures all over the internet to elicit an emotional response that they're wearing masks that are uncomfortable and they leave these marks all over the face. Here's a thought. Let's find one that is comfortable for people to wear for long periods of time. They do exist, but a lot of people think they look mean and weird and are not good for bedside matter. Okay, well, what is matters more? How they feel about how you look or the fact that you're actually protecting theirs and your health? So here's an idea. Let's find a better solution for the masks that are both good for the environment and also are something that you can wear without big problems for long periods of time. Maybe it's a, just a whole head headgear thing. Right? You, you, beggars can't be choosers. You've got to find the balance curve. Yes, wearing masks of any kind for long periods of time is uncomfortable. In fact, in the occupational health and safety world, and depending on what you're doing, a lot of time you can't work for more than 20, 30 minutes doing certain stuff if you have to wear a hazmat suit because they understand it's very difficult for the worker and can kill you. I bet you more hospital workers die of exhaustion or things related to exhaustion than COVID specifically, but no one's measuring that. Yes, we need more doctors. Yes, we need more nurses. Yes, we need more resources for a medical system. And no, we need to stop. Right, well, and yes, we need to stop the silly politics around this garbage. Unions want this for this. Uh, governments want that for that. Meanwhile, who gets screwed is the frontline workers and this. There's greater systematic problems. Again, read the book Anti Fragile. It really goes into the problems of our system. I've learned based on advice I've gotten from multiple doctors that a lot of doctors aren't up to date anymore. Right? An example was. Um, I said, hey, I'm on a keto diet. 
I switched doctors like three times because my, my uh, original doctor I had for most of my life retired. Sucks for me. I liked him because he knew I didn't. I wasn't a hypochondriac, which means if I came in, I'm like, here, here's the problem. You do a quick check. He's like, you're probably right. Let's do the testing. But when you meet new doctors, they're so used to dealing with hypochondriacs and people don't know what they're doing. I've, I've never been wrong about a self-diagnosis, by the way. Doctors have. So anyways, I go into the, this new doctor. He's not new. He's been doing it forever. Say, hey, listen, I'm on a high, f- I'm on a keto diet, so it's high protein. I'm probably going to test high on uh, LCL cholesterol. I just want to make sure everything else is okay. Test results come back. I need to see you. What's the problem? You have high L- LCL cholesterol. Yeah, I do. I told you I would. I'm on a keto diet. It's normal. You need to go on stands. No, I don't. Yeah, you have to go on stands. No, I don't. Not based on any up-to-date literature, scientific or nutritional, from science, that I have to go on stands. You want to for sure know that I need to go on stands? You got to do that. I don't know what the test is called. This test that actually checks how much cholesterol, how much blockage is in your arteries. They're not going to do that in Canada because I'm too young. So I go on stands. No, I don't. There's actually more negative side effects of me going on stands. So I argue with him. I'm like, no, I'm not. Sorry, I'm not doing that. Uh, he's like, well, I, I have. I'm like, it's 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 out of date information. He's like, well, I have to tell you what the the Canadian Medical Association of Doctors tells me to tell you. I'm like, what the fuck? But that's not even up to date information, and it's it's wrong and probably killing more people. You know who benefits? Medical uh, pharmaceutical companies. Now, I don't think he's corrupt. That's just how it is in Canada. I think. Well, I have to do what the guidelines tell me to do. Otherwise, I could lose my license. Well, the guidelines in Canada tend to be 10 to 15 years out of date. We're really slow to update our medical procedures. Really slow compared to other countries. Like, we're not in the forefront of medical medicine in most of the time. Some of the research is, but by the time it ends up into uh, the mainstream medical here, it's like 10, 15 years later. And it's like, Jesus Christ, which means your word is a lag in the advice you're getting. So doctors are are fallible. Experts are fallible. By the way, they ignored all the experts saying this is going to be bad for the economy. One thing I have learned about this year is that the status of the stock market really is irrelevant to most people because most people are not in the stock market. While everyone is struggling, the stock market got even more wealthy. So that's a different thing. But the overall economy of how this is going to affect the average person is clear. And doctors, ER doctors, said, I don't care. People are dying. I'm dying. I'm stressed. I don't care about all these people who are going to die or lose their jobs or lose their money or lose their houses. Or lose I don't care about that because I just care about me. How's that ethical? Do no harm. You're doing harm by demanding lockdowns. I get it. You're a human being. You're stressed. You're having a hard time. But fuck you. You're being selfish and you're not, quote, doing no harm. You're not following the Hippocratic Oath. You are doing an emotionally based article picked up by social media, by the media, to push a narrative. I don't think that's ethical at all, and I think that's selfish. Again, it aerosolized Ebola, airborne Ebola, where pe- bodies are literally dropping dead in the streets. I'm going to go, okay, we need a lockdown. I'm going to duct tape my windows. That was not this. That was never this. Not even close. And yet, this nine or ten months later, people who have been screaming science and data are ignoring the science and data, which was, you were wrong. We didn't need the lockdowns. We needed controls, yes. We needed policies and procedures, and we needed to bolster the medical system. But you were wrong, and you did a lot of damage. And, you know, I'm not going to get into conspiracy about the Great Reset, but I would say there are definitely people in mo- with money and power who are using this as an opportunity to get things what they want. You know, I think that's undeniable. I won't, I won't get into that. That's a topic for another time. But do no harm. And we need to do the right thing and blah, blah, blah. You guys just 
You're trying to control too much when you it's clear you don't need to. Masks do work, but they have their limits. They're a good idea, but lying about your emergency preparedness policies and procedures and equipment was bullshit. Lying about who was dying about it, but it was bullshit. It's not do no harm. You've done an immense harm in people's lives. And, and, you know, some people will say, well, if you're not able to survive COVID financially, then you sucked up, you fucked up, and you shouldn't be able to survive anyway. That's like the most brutal of economic arguments. Well, you were going to fail anyway. Well, not necessarily. So the mask thing, you were just gaslighting. And there's a lot of conspiracy things out there because people are just being stupid. Because, again, scientific literacy. So stats, again, again, with the lying. It was very clear earlier on about the deaths. And I, I talked about it in, the, in this post to do with the CBC article. And again, I made a post on social media about it and forgot when this was published. I really need to read that. When is something published is super important. If something is more than a few weeks old, you should, especially it's a, regarding up-to-date the stuff, you really need to post the date it was published to give context. Anyways, and this I did. It was June 8th, so it's basically after the first wave. It was clear who's getting killed. Elderly and obese. Clear. Government stats show this. Scientific studies show this, and yet media and governments continue to say, oh, young people can die. Of course young people can die. No one said they can. Nothing is 100%. You were seeing young people die. But statistically, if we have all the numbers in the world, we are going to find that statistically young people are not at risk. And there is no reason why people under 40 shouldn't, for the most part, have been able to go about their lives. You needed some restrictions with interactions with people. Let's just be even concerned, like it's people over 80 for sure, but let's be conservative and say people over 60, even though they're over 69, let's be conservative and say, okay, people over 60 need to have stricter guidelines and how they want to follow. And if they choose that they don't care if they die, okay. People under 40, there was almost no risk. Kids, definitely almost no risk. Not 100%, but all it takes is one kid to die of this. And there were. 7 billion people, one kid dies, we shut everything down because, oh, a kid could die? That's not smart. I'm sucks for the parents and the family. It's horrible. But that was never in the math of the statistics and the numbers. And yet you still see, to this day, people pushing it. Oh, young people could die too. Well, yes, they can. But is the death rate of youth, people under 40 for fuck's sake, so high that we need to shut society? The answer was always no. You could see that after the first wave. And again, by the way, with the second wave, they knew because of the flu and cold season, which also didn't go away, but magically in the stats it did. Um, what did they do to prepare for it? We just had the first wave. What did you do to prepare for it? In Canada, it was almost nothing. They didn't make any changes as specifically dealing with the inevitable uptick for the second wave. They just said, ah, we can do lockdowns again. Did you not look at your own data? You need to put the resources where the resources need to go. You're going to see in 10 years or 20 years that they realize that. and like, Well, we could look that post hoc as in after the fact. No, this was obvious during. You're just arrogant. Doctors are being arrogant. Frontline workers are being overwhelmed emotionally. Experts are being arrogant. Governments are being selfish because they just want to protect themselves and admit, not admit it. So, you know, it's a very big problem. Again, the reason why the rate of uh, spike for COVID in any data is higher in the second wave is because testing is in place, which will actually reduce the chance of death from getting COVID. 
Because now you're getting more accurate numbers. In the first one, they were screaming high mortality rates because they didn't have the correct numbers. So if you based on the data, it would be like, oh, we have super high mortality rates because we don't have all the data. Now you're seeing the massive spike in infection rates because of testing, but the death rate is pretty, pretty much the same, which means it's actually less problematic than you were told. And yet they're still doing lockdowns in places. Don't talk to me or people about science and data when you're not making policy or decisions based on the evidence. I understand you get reelected politicians because of what your constituents think. So part of your job is not just to do what your constituents want, it's to actually inform your constituents. Hey, I can't do that because that's illegal. Hey, I can't do that because this data actually doesn't show that. So I, I can't support that attitude. They don't do that. It's too hard, right? You need to learn a critical think. Perhaps some of you need to learn uh, scientific literacy. Perhaps some of you need to learn to critically think. All I see is people running around like chickens with their heads getting cut off. I'm getting called a conspiracy theory when I, I'm just looking at the data and information. And I'm like, guys, I don't think this is bad. And I'm not even that. Like I, I mean, yes, there are people out there screaming, the sky is falling, and then there are people screaming, this is all a, a, a hoax. Well, it's not a hoax because it's measurable in a lab. It's the policies and the reaction that are problematic. You need to approach things properly. General lack, again, of knowledge of how science actually works. Too much credit to the, quote, experts. Too much reliance in our media, who's already been proven to be manipulative. Too much reliance in governments to do the right thing. It's relative, by the way. So you need your critical thinking skills, along with scientific knowledge, to understand when you're being gaslit, when you're being lied to, when something doesn't make sense, it might not make sense. And then you need to dig deeper. What's causing them to make a decision? There's always things beyond what's on the surface it's complicated i know and you'd rather go play your video game you'd rather go read your book you'd rather go do nothing you'd rather be left alone you'd rather do your own life but then you don't have the right to scream why is the world so bad if you're part of the problem as a citizen that's not informing yourself properly okay so let's talk about vaccines and let's read the article or let's listen to the article that i wrote on vaccines Critical Thinking and COVID-19, Vaccines, Testing, and Stats Okay, as this is a topic that will be discussed as nauseam this year, I thought I would apply some basic critical thinking. This is, of course, part of a series, the first being the initial response to the virus, and the second being context, mass, and stats. Click on links. I thought I would also clarify, if it wasn't already clear, why I write about topics that often many people think have nothing to do with self-defense. I believe that Krav Maga is truly about learning to walk in peace, as originally intended. This approach should be clear in my series, Self-Defense is Not Just Physical. Click on link. This means that when I hear students, friends, colleagues, or family making grossly incorrect comments on either side of the political aisle or other simply expressing confusion about some basic reality that is affecting their mental health, among other things, I feel it is my duty to do or say something, either to quell their fears or to educate them with more correct information, more up-to-date. Those, to those who believe that everyone should stay in their lane, I respectfully disagree. One thing is for sure, COVID has applied immense pressures to society and the confusion and non- sense from all sides, conspiracy theorists to experts to politicians, is a big part of the problem. So if my writings help you, then wonderful. If they just make you hate me, then by all means. 
And like many, while I may be extremely annoyed at how governments have handled the situation and decisions that they are making, it does not mean that I am also some anti-science or anti-vax person. In fact, the importance of vaccines cannot be stressed enough, but that does not mean there are no issues with them. Vaccines in general. I'm going to go ahead and say it. If you are outright against vaccines or fall into an anti-vaxxer category, then you are not applying critical thinking at all. This is not actually a political thing. In case you have forgotten, much of the anti-vax movement started relatively recently in California from left-wing people. It just happens that now, because of COVID, many of the anti-vaxxers reacting to the specific events tend to be on the right. This means this is actually apolitical, because actually there's people on both sides right now disputing it. So please stop accusing the other side of being stupid. No vaccines are not going to give your kid autism. That whole rumor was started with one fraudulent paper. Historically, vaccines are responsible for ridding most of the world of many previously horrible ailments, from, ex for example, smallpox, measles, polio. In fact, they have been so effective at snuffing out many of these diseases which plague humanity that in many Western countries they do not even give the vaccines anymore. I'm actually kind of upset that I never received vaccines for some of these illnesses because, you know, what if shit hits the fan and I'm not vaccinated against something that suddenly becomes a problem? Give me my vaccines, damn it. Those ones are proven, by the way. With that being said, to sit here and pretend that vaccines are not without drawbacks is also foolish. There have been and will continue to be lawsuits periodically and not just for vaccines, as in the U.S. alone, they have paid out over $4 billion in compensation. In fact, I recently listened to the podcast Kill Tony, a comedy podcast in which one of the participants suffered nerve damage due to vaccination. So it does happen. The general attitude is that the benefit outweighs the potential harm, by a long shot. For the COVID-19 vaccine, however, even if there are some risks, which may include deaths, Many governments are not allowing financial recourse for any damages, which is morally wrong. See, before you call someone names or insult them because they have concerns about a vaccine, recognize that these concerns are not entirely baseless. Additionally, pretending like pharmaceutical companies are not morally corrupt corporations with very questionable history is also silly. It can easily be seen in the recent eight billion-dollar lawsuit against Purdue Pharma related to the Oxycontin's role in the opioid crisis in the U.S. And to be fair to the, them, the responsibility also lies on the shoulders of any corrupt doctor and their lots whom prescribe something when they know better. With regards to the current vaccine for COVID-19, it has been said that if you suffer severe allergic reactions, then perhaps it may not be advisable for you. So there's a lot of people who can't even take it. Vaccines and other medications are very expensive to produce, and as a general rule, companies won't even bother unless they can recover their expenses in the hundreds of millions of dollars, which makes sense financially, but for the betterment of humanity's health, makes little sense. But it is what it is, and the concern from the producers is a legitimate concern that doesn't mean that someone is a conspiracy theorist, questioning the vaccine's efficacy, for example. Again, as a general rule, most of the time, vaccines have done more good than harm. But do not pretend there are not potential negatives for some people. How traditional vaccines work. I thought I would do a short section on the science behind vaccines. 
as many people really do not understand how these things work. They hear or read something online that sounds ominous, or they don't understand. And that's why they decide they don't like vaccines. First things first, traditional vaccines have been used for a long time now and have a long track record of success overall. However, in the early days, I bet lots of things didn't go as planned because we just didn't understand enough. So if you dig, you'll always find negative examples. But again, we don't have polio, measles, or other horrible virus diseases. For the rest of this, I'll just say viruses, but of course, its vaccines work sometimes for non-viruses. En masse, in general, anymore because of them. So overall, fairly good. Vaccines introduce the virus in an active form, passive form, or other types into your body in a controlled fashion. This is intended to train your immune system to fight off the actual virus should you encounter it in the future. Yes, that means they do inject a small bit of offending organism along with other sciencey stuff into your body. Particularly if it is an active type, it is a reduced viral bacterial load, not enough to make you get sick with the actual virus. If it is passive, they use an inactive, dead form of the virus or offending body. Other methods employ a part of the virus, such as as listed in the link, so click it. All to teach your immune system how to deal with it if you were to ever get it. If you were to encounter something like smallpox, you would have immunity after having it because your body has now learned to fight it off. This is, of course, assuming you are still alive, and, of course, you are most likely severely disfigured now. This is why vaccines teach your body how to deal with it before it is encountered. Your body is like, oh, hey, I know this, go away. And either you are mildly sick or didn't notice at all. With some illnesses, you can only catch it once before you are messed up with disfigurements or dead. Hence, you can't just get it in order to develop immunity. Thus, many illnesses that require vaccines are those with which consequences are simply too dire. Yes, you can get slightly sick after a vaccine, exhibiting mild symptoms of illness or experience some minor side effects. This is largely due to the fact that genetics and humans are complicated and there is no way of knowing who will react to what. Some people's immune systems will react more severely than others. I can remember receiving one vaccine as a child that was so painful I could barely move my arm for several days. This does not mean, however, that you are dying or they injected a microchip into you. It does mean, however, that our medicine and science is not at the point where we can be so precise that we can have custom doses for each person, and we probably won't for a long time. Stop expecting perfection. It does not exist. The COVID-19 Vaccine Enter the COVID-19 vaccine, which is not a traditional vaccine, but rather an mRNA-based vaccine. Just so you know, DNA and RNA, click on the links, are different structures of life on this planet that is based on. Coronaviruses, like common cold, are RNA-based, which essentially means they can evolve and change at a pace our medical science has yet to keep up with. This means that, so far, we have never completely eradicated an RNA-based virus, and vaccines for them require regular updates, like a flu shot. Unlike traditional vaccines, they essentially use a key, a protein or RNA-type thingy, yes, very scientific word, that teaches your immune system to fight off the virus. Something to remember about mRNA vaccines is that they are relatively new technology and that there is no longitudinal data on mass from which to assess how this will affect us in the long run. 
a legitimate concern, which is a historical. There have been occasions with new tech issues with new technologies when they have not been tested on a wide enough population over a long enough period of time. With that being said, numerous studies, click one for one such study, have been carried out globally on exceptionally large test groups, tens of thousands of people, which is really good considering traditional test groups are usually a lot smaller. However, a legitimate concern for many is what was the makeup of these test groups? Was it as a diverse group of people with thousands of people from white or black to Asians? Or was it, as many studies are, limited to a particular group of people? It is a legitimate question, as the medical field often ignores that genetic differences in groups when developing things because that would make research more expensive, or the politics of race and culture complicate the matter. But nevertheless, it is a concern and something worth considering. I would hope, as this is a global endeavor and studies have been done all over the place, that this is something that was taken into consideration. But without reading the data from the studies indicating the makeup of these groups, it will be hard to ascertain, and in many cases, they do not provide it. Another issue is some people actually have been advised not to take the vaccine, that is, individuals with severe allergies. This group essentially has immune issues for a variety of reasons, which means no vaccine, no normalcy. They were already at risk anyway. This was specifically for the Pfizer vaccine, but who knows, it could apply to the other vaccines for a variety of companies producing it. But, as always, without further investigation, we may not know until much later. I believe they are investigating with trial groups to do with people with severe allergies, but we won't know yet. What concerns me most about the vaccine is how numerous governments, there are links, have limited or blocked the ability to seek proper compensation should things go wrong, especially if it is made mandatory. If I was a citizen in such a country, this would be very concerning to me, as it goes against historic precedents and is extremely immoral and unethical. For many, the fact that these companies producing the vaccine are protected from liability is a concern, though a moral argument can be made on both sides as to why or why not this should be allowed. So let's assume that the vaccine, in its various forms, does what it says it is going to do, which is to provide a 94 to 95% give or take barrier to stop you getting, for sure, and or spreading COVID-19 after both shots, less if you only get one, something like a 50% reduction. Then, within reason, lockdowns and mask mandates should, hypothetically, disappear. If they do not, I would be very, very concerned. If it does work, as they say, preventing the spread of COVID, though there is no scientific evidence on this, then the idea that everyone must get immunized against COVID to help promote some kind of herd immunity is actually quite silly. Uh, this is because it has been made clear that most people under 60 who are reasonably healthy will not have significant issues should they contract the disease which means those who are vulnerable or at risk probably should get vaccinated, and everyone else should if they want, if they want. However, to claim everyone must take it, that it is mandatory, actually seems very unscientific to me. Whether asymptomatic people can transmit the virus and how many people are asymptomatic seems to be up for debate as numbers range between 20 to 80% of people who test positive, so this isn't even clear-cut. One thing is for sure, the vast majority of people under 60 who encounter the virus are not at risk of severe complications or death. Thus, the idea, if you don't get vaccinated, you will die or the world will end. It makes no sense. 
If for whatever reason the vaccines are not as effective as they claim, then our options are really to learn to live with this and learn to be healthier in general. We will not know, however, until the thing has rolled out and the next year is upon us. So buckle up and hold on. While the speculation around COVID herd immunity numbers are up in the air, it should be evident by now this may be irrelevant. Again, with most people being relatively fine, especially if COVID becomes another annual virus being RNA-based. Normal, human, normal herd immunity, by the way, for something, say, measles, requires about 95% of vaccination of people for an immunity to prevent mass outbreaks. So really, protecting the vulnerable and accepting that most people who get COVID will be just fine is probably a fine way to go for this specific virus. Either way, I really want the fear-mongering to stop. No matter the virus, what we really need to see is a greater push towards healthier living and better dietary choices, as well as more preventative medicine option in the Western medicine world, something I have yet to see from most world leaders. Testing. I'll keep this short, but testing throughout the entire pandemic has been a source of confusion. Most governments did not do widespread testing early enough, particularly where it mattered, at the points of entry. Some countries did not even do widespread testing at all, favoring instead targeted testing and had great success like Japan. But how testing is used and its results measured can greatly affect the perception of how bad the pandemic actually is. So it's worth noting. In Canada, we were using three types of testing, PCR, point of care, and antibody test. PCR being the most widespread by a long shot, but also the most problematic and the source of many of the issues, whereas antibody tests are hardly being used at all. The PCR test, to keep it simply, checks to see if you, quote, have something. As in, are you sick? Did you have the virus? Is there virus at all? Even the creator of the PCR test said it's not a good test to get accurate numbers. He did not say it cannot test for the virus. It can, but he doesn't like how it's being used. This means that the test can produce false positives, meaning you may have the cold and you might test positive. Or you could have had COVID weeks ago, didn't even know it, are fine now, not contagious, but you would still test positive. This means that it is likely that most of the world is using PCR testing that positive rates being presented as higher than they actually are. This is why, as soon as you saw mass testing, the positive rates spiked dramatically in the second wave. Yet the hospitalization rates, while they rose, didn't spike through the roof at the same rate. Scientists and governments may prefer an artifactually high number to make people take the situation more seriously. But as I mentioned earlier, I prefer honesty over fear-mongering. While COVID is a serious problem, it should be obvious now that either because of the widespread use of PCS testing or politics of COVID, we will never know the real numbers of active cases of COVID, just like we will never know truly accurate numbers for the flu and common cold. But since it is a global issue, I really think they need a more accurate number. So basic, better policy decisions can be made. Just my two cents. Conclusion. While I, like many people in the crowd world, are very against the way governments are reacting and behaving, I still support genuine science. That is to say, actual reality, not what is being portrayed. No, I do not believe COVID is as bad as it's being presented to us. Many of the problems are to do with failed policy, reactions, overreactions, etc. As I have made clear in this series, numerous governments got it right. Unfortunately, most did not. But when it comes to vaccines, while there are obvious concerns, even from a scientific perspective, 
It was produced rapidly and mistakes could have been made, for example. It's a new technology and has no long-term data. Vaccines, on the whole, have been positive for humanity. Personally, I never get the yearly flu shot because I am young and healthy, and it's not a big deal if I get the flu. When I am older, however, I would reconsider this stance. This is because the flu and cold vaccines are very different than, say, those for measles because of that tricky RNA thing. So on the same logic, when it comes to COVID vaccine, I am in no rush to get it. However, if you are over 60 or an at-risk individual, I would definitely consider getting it as soon as you can from a little... Poking around, I would prefer the Moderna over the Pfizer, personal, completely personal, as you are the ones who need it. If the vulnerable are protected, the death rate from COVID should be negligible, even if only half the population gets it, especially if it turns out it's going to be an annual shot, then logically it would be just like the cold or flu shot. Those who are at risk get it and everyone else do what they feel is best for them. So no, I am not for mandatory vaccination for this particular virus. It doesn't make sense to me. If we were facing aerosolized Ebola, however, I would be craving my way to the front of that line. Just kidding. The point of the series was to give some perspective from the eyes of critical thinking. Experts, politicians, and those on either side can sometimes get tunnel vision and stop thinking clearly in a broader perspective. On some issues, I fall on the one side of the aisle and on the other, the other side of the aisle. This is how it should be if you're practicing proper critical thinking. To entrench yourself in the camp of lockdown, lockdown, or the camp of hoax, then you are not operating with any critical thinking at all. COVID is not a hoax. It just really, 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 really was poorly managed by our dear leaders. But given that many countries have done well, barely locked down, like Sweden, though they admit they should have done a little bit more, or countries like Japan that didn't do mass testing, means that perhaps the camp of lockdown also is not applying critical thinking. So I hope this series has been a help to you, either to open your eyes on one side or the other, teach you something you didn't know, or clarify something you thought you knew, then I am glad. Just remember, self-defense is not just physical. It is everything that comes together so that you can learn to walk in peace, be it physical, social, financial, mental, or spiritual. In these crazy times, sane voices and rational discussion with critical thinking must be our priority, lest we go all mad and fail to learn to walk in peace. Written by Jonathan Fader. For training online, visit www.utkm.com. If you're in the Metro Vancouver area and want to learn in person, you can find out more at www.urbantacticskm.com. Oh, yeah. Putting this out there, I am not an anti-vaxxer. I am just critical thinking and uh, looking at the data. So, okay, I hope that helped you ex- understand uh, how vaccines work. Again, COVID is a 19, uh, RNA, COVID-19 is an RNA virus. One day we will have outright full vaccines like a polio or a smallpox vaccine for RNA-based viruses. At this point, as far as I'm aware, we've never outright cured one because in order to do that, you would have to basically have a vaccine developed in like a week, send it out globally, give it to everyone. Furthermore, you will always have some deaths from vaccines because of unforeseen genetic variability. And one day beyond that initial statement about where we should be medically, we will have the ability to not only to give out vaccines within a week of discovering something or two, we will be able to give specifically tailored for a person's genetics. That's probably not for a long time, okay?
for a variety of reasons, which is very complicated, not going to get into today. But the screaming that we can't open up till we get vaccines is absurd. This is just based on science that I've read. My understanding, it is likely that this thing is going to be around for like every other RNA-based virus. We'll probably have an annual flu shot. Like you'll get your flu shot in with the COVID shot annually. Um, There's already, I don't know, I can't even keep track at this point how many strains there are of COVID now. At least five. Okay, give another, there'll be another five. This is how these work. And generally speaking, again, viruses will either evolve to be more spreading or more deadly. Of course, the ones that are more deadly are the ones we have to pay the most attention to, but they're also the easier to contain, right? Uh, the UK variant is just a fear-mongering bullshit to get people to support lockdowns again. It's a bunch of nonsense. Again, rather than putting the money into boosting the medical systems and more frontline workers, I'm not even going to get into the goddamn politics of Canada why there aren't more doctors and why there are not nurse practitioners because it's corruption and greed and a mother. It's just facts. I've talked to too many people about this. Doctors on the doctors aboard need to shut. Fuck you. Allow more doctors. Fuck you. You're not doing no harm. We need more doctors until technology can replace you. Fuck you. I really mean that. Stop blocking quality people from becoming doctors because you don't want to and using bullshit arguments because you want more money. That's a fact in Canada. Other places, it's probably similar, probably similar in the UK. Right? This is not a do-no-harm model. This is I'm a selfish asshole who wants to keep my paycheck as is. Diversify your portfolio. Get open as if. Anyways, back to vaccines. Um, vaccines are very good, have changed the world. But vaccines also have some negative side effects. So if you're outright anti-vaxxer, you're being a fool. And it depends on what the vaccine is for, whether you should take it or not, whether you need to take it or not. And if you're outright, everyone needs to ta- take the vaccine, mandatory vaccine, you're also being a moron because, again, it's RNA, so it, I don't think it's very different. Now, if you're going to take true scientific method, we say, okay, well, let's let who wants to take it, take it, and who doesn't want to take it, take it, and then we'll see who dies from this. Now, as far as I'm aware, based on the data, this is not going to change your genetics. Sorry, again, you don't understand how this works. Grow up. Just admit you're not smart enough or not educated enough to understand it. Sorry if that offends you. Fuck you. Get over yourself. Um, there have, you know, on the thing I talked about, a billion dollar lawsuit against Purdue Pharma to do with opioids. So again, pharmaceutical companies are not most ethical people. They just not, historically have not been. They have lobbyists. But there have also been billions of dollars shelled out, as I mentioned, four billions in compensation in the U.S. alone, for which is why when countries like England are like, there will be no compensation if things go sideways. It's like, okay, uh, okay, now, <laughs> you're being dicks. And that goes against historical precedents. I sincerely hope the that goes away, uh, even if it's made law of the courts in England. Again, I'm not, I don't know how the courts in England work. Shoot that down. Probably not, because so much corruption in England. Um... But you, you you get the idea. Polio, and if you had polio was still around, you would vaccinate your damn kids. You'd be like, oh my God, I don't want my kid to get that. You you would vaccinate their kids. For sure. You know, Won't somebody please name the children again? You wouldn't be anti-vax if you saw polio running around still. You may still know some people who are older and survive polio but are severe problems now. Right? Now, the flu vaccines have been around for a while. I don't, I don't get them. 
I don't see the point in getting them. I would rather my own immune system do its job. I'm not worried. I, I don't even know if I've had COVID or not. I might have had it. I might have not. Again, I speculate that I might have had it early, early, early on before anyone knew what was going on because my girlfriend went to China in October 2019 and came back pretty sick. Uh, we have no way of knowing if it was from COVID or not. And then I got sick. And this is that was back before anyone knew anything publicly, right? So we, I have no way of knowing. But I'm like, you know what? Even if I have gotten it, I don't care because I, based on any evidence, I am not fearful. I'm not concerned that if I get when I'm sick anyway, I stay at home. You know, anytime I've been sick during uh, COVID periods. You know, even I don't even go and do my virtual classes. I'll let someone else and I'm I stay away from people for four or five days, uh, seven days, give or take. Again, if you test positive, then, yeah, you need to you need to isolate. But there's no guarantee that this vaccine is going to do that based on all available evidence. In fact, they don't even know if it's going to stop the spread. I kind of went off on the tangent. There. Stop the spread. It just might prevent severe or. Uh, mild or severe symptoms or death. Not won't completely avoid death. But hey, doesn't vitamin D do the same thing? So there is a lot of evidence to suggest this vaccine does not need to be mandatory. One, because it's an RNA-based vaccine. Two, because guess what? Vitamin D, for a lot of people and healthy lifestyle, will get the same damn results about reducing it. Because again, it might not stop you from getting it. Or even spreading it. They just know that it reduces you from having any severe issues with the virus. And I'm not saying don't get the vaccine. Because for a lot of people it's a good option. But there are risks. If you have severe allergic reaction. They're already saying specifically with the Pfizer one. Don't take it. Right? And again a lot of this. There's a lot of problems that are coming out. And I'm going to read a few things here. So and these will be in the. I'll put in the notes. This is from the British Medical Journal. Okay, I just want to talk about this to do with everything I've said so far about the bullshit that's being spread by experts and professionals and politicians and the media. So this is the British Medical Journal. This is publicly available one. COVID-19, politicization, corruption, and suppression of science. Corruption and uh, suppression of science, by the way, has been used for and against actual science (laughs) based on political whims. Uh, This was... The 2020 edition, November. It is a open, it is an editorial, but it's directed at another editorial by the editor, I think, discussing that the actual science is being subdued to enforce lockdowns. So rapid response. COVID-19, science, conflicts, and the elephant in the room. Dear editor, congratulations on your editorial highlighting the depression levels of corruption taking place in the name of beating the pandemic. Scrutiny certainly deserves to be directed towards conflicts of interest with members of the uh, SAGE and scientific medical advisors as examined by Dr. Zoe uh, Harcomb, PhD, a Cambridge Mathematic Economics graduate. Aided by mainstream media and censorship by tech giants, tech giants, this group controls the scientific narrative on which government actions are based on. Even when the science reply, relied on upon is at complete odds with the review of many of world-class scientists. Suppression of science and lack of open debate has impinged enormously on three issues of fundamental significance. Firstly, 
public fear of COVID has elevated, has been elevated to levels that are completely out of proportion to the actual danger. A recent peer-reviewed paper by one of the world's most cited and respective scientists, Professor John uh, Ionidis of Stanford University, quotes an infection fatality rate, IFR, of COVID of 0.00057. Or 0.05. I might have misread that. 0.0. Okay, that's better. 0.05 for under 70, age of 70. Far lower than originally feared and no different to severe flu. There's references in this, by the way. The paper is published by WHO's own bulletin, but ignored by UK's main media. And by the way, the WHO is corrupt. That doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to them on certain things based on the data. Anyways, continuing. Secondly, although deaths are currently running at normal levels, fear is being driven by inflation of COVID cases caused by inappropriate use of the polymerized chain reaction PCR test. I did not go into enough criticism of the PCR test. The PCR test has a problem. Okay, whatever. Okay, continuing. This test is hypersensitive and highly susceptible to contamination, particularly when not processed with utmost rigorous by the properly trained staff. Case inflation also occurs from use of excessive numbers of rounds of amplification cycles, term CT, which amplifies non-infectious viral fragments and cross-reacting nucleotides from non-COVID coronaviruses, other respiratory viruses. These become mislabeled as COVID. Even Dr. Fauci, again, confirms that a positive result using CT above 34 is invalid. You probably don't even need it that high anyway. But in the UK, CTs may go up to 45, as confirmed by Professional Card Haney of Oxford University Center for Evidence-Based Medicine. I'm skipping over some citations, so you can read it yourself. An obvious improvement is the imp- immediately halt use of CTs above 34 and ensuring the use of CTs between 25 and 34. Two consecutive positive, I would say 25, based on just complete insanity. But anyways, two consecutive positive results are required before confirming a case is case COVID positive. Meaning, make sure it's not a false positive. According to Professor Brooks, a health data scientist from the University of Leicester, the UK's official data shows no excess of deaths due to respiratory infections this season. There's a a, a, a source there. Instead, excess total deaths have been driven by lack of treatment due to hospital closures, lockdowns, and have occurred mostly at home, while there is no question that the first wave of COVID and then novel coronavirus was lethal to many. There's no sound evidence of it in the second wave. The third possibility and most consequential suppression of science related to the narrative is that people do not develop immunity following COVID infections. We know that immunity to SARS-CoV-1 is very durable, persisting for at least 12 to 17 years. Immunologists know that immunity to SARS-CoV-2 is no different. This is confirmed by many eminent scientists, including Beta M. Stadler, the former director of the Institute of Immunology at the University of Bern, Professor Emeteris. Citation. And, uh, I can't say these names, sorry. Uh, Sukarit, oh, Sukarit Bhakti, I've heard of before. Former chair of medical, I think I've listened to an interview of them. Chair of medical microbiology, University of Mainz. The human population has 
uh, encountered and coexisted with a myriad of coronaviruses throughout evolution. Most of us, therefore, have cross-reacting T-cells, B-cells, and antibodies derived from encounters with cold coronaviruses that can recognize SARS-CoV-2 in the same way that people immunized with cowpox become less susceptible to serious illnesses from smallpox. As Edward Jenner discovered in 1796, this is why we do not generally die from cold coronaviruses and precisely why so many of us were not susceptible to falling severely ill from COVID earlier this year. Even the chance of passing COVID to your spouse at the height of the pandemic was low as 17%. Again, that's probably still a high number, but they're going on based on the data at the time. In line and expectations, mediators of the robust long-term immune memory, Im- uh, memory B and T cells have both been firmly established to produce following even a mild COVID infection. Pronouncing on a handful of examples of apparent second COVID infections, it is irresponsible of the media, but suits the false narrative of failing antibody levels leads to the loss of immunities. Again, media is pushing bullshit. The evidence and governments too. The evidence that immunity lasts is along all around us. If this were not so, we would be seeing many, many, many people of dying of failing silly, serious ill with COVID now as we did in March and April, including doctors and nurses. Which means he's basically saying the reason why the second wave is not seeing a mass spike in deaths is because there's immunity for this. Pfizer's vaccination trial data provides further confirmation of the now low rates of prevalence. 94 participants were apparently infected based on PCR positive results. Uh, of unknown CT, so we cannot be sure they are genuinely COVID. Basically, they're not sure what testing standards they used. The placebo group must comprise around 22,000 people. Half of the total trial numbers, this yields an infection rate of at the most 0.4% and makes the chances of escaping infection greater than 99.6% during the trial period. The vaccine might as well be 90% effective. He put it in quotes, by the way. Although we are yet to learn exactly how this is measured. But the risk of contracting COVID in the first place is low, self-evidently low. The risk of both contracting and dying from COVID using an IFR of 0.57, the worst case, was a mere 0.002%. So if the infection rate is, well, it's basically for the overall, it's, it's, you're not going to die. It's like statistically not likely, basically. Of course, of course, the elderly and other high-risk categories face that 5% to 0.5%, right? Or the 5%. He's not saying that. I'm saying that. But they do say, he says, of course, the elderly other high-risk categories face greater risks, but it's still far less than were earlier predicted this year. Bad numbers. Hijacking of science by vested interest has resulted in immense harm. It goes on like that. But yeah, I'll, I'll post it. You can find this all over the place. Science is all over the world. They're being silenced. Okay? Now, I just want like to... There's an Economist article. I can't read it because I don't have a, a, a subscription. I used to when I had BlackBerry. It was free. Anyways, two arthritic medications prove effective for COVID-19. January 14, 2021. There was lots of evidence that there were drugs out there that already worked for a variety of medical reasons for COVID, but due to politicization, we need a vaccine. People made a lot of money, okay? People have made a lot of money. Again, not anti-vaxxer, but you cannot deny the corruption. There was lots of evidence that there's lots of stuff. Once you started to understand how COVID worked, there was lots of ways you could prevent it. So that's an economist. They generally don't dick around. Uh, again, to read the full article in there, there's stuff you need to think. But you can find lots of this, guys. 
use your critical thinking, right? And, and, and you just see it. And another thing about the vaccine, here's one. Norway raises concern over vaccine jabs for the elderly. Again, if you're at risk and have a compromised immune system, vaccines can be hard on your system already. This was in January 16th, 2021. It's from Bloomberg. By the way, Bloomberg hates Trump. <laughs> Does not like it. Bloomberg nerds. So they're not neutral. But they're now saying... Uh, Norway expressed increasing concerns about the safety of the Pfizer ring vaccine on elderly people with serious underlying conditions. Because people are dying after they get vaccinated. If you already weakened immune system, taking a vaccine is tough on your system. Right? I'll post a link in the in the thing, but there's a lot of concerns that people who are already at risk. There's Pfizer has said if you have um, severe allergies, you can't take this vaccine. It's not a good idea. If you're elderly with severe complications, a vaccine might not be a good idea. Forcing people to take vaccines could end up well killing them so much for doing harm. As a general rule, vaccines are good. RNA-based vaccines, you do not need to mandatory mandate. It's absolutely insane. It does, it's not even scientific. It's not even logical. People need to assess their own risks and decide, is this for me or is this not? I've said I'm not going to take this vaccine right away unless I have to for specific business reasons. I'm not concerned for myself either way. But I generally believe in letting my own immune system do what it can when it can because why not? Especially if I may have already had, I don't know. I think I got it early on before I even knew what the hell was going on. And if any of my students got it, I'm sorry. I wasn't aware. This was way, like, way back in the day. Um, so there was no no issues of irresponsibility because... Who the hell knows? There was no testing, no knowledge of it at the time. As far as I were, none of my students ended up in the hospital for any reason, so I don't feel bad, even if that was the case. Because they're healthy. They choose a healthy lifestyle. I encourage them to choose healthy lifestyles. Right? The bottom line is, COVID's not a hoax. Lockdowns didn't work and are stupid. Policies are not following science and data. PR scientists, people in the forefront are not following science data. This is all about people in power. This is about people who don't know science. This is about confusion. This is about fear. This has shown the power of groupthink, the danger of groupthink, how silly people are. And I know people say, John, you're not an expert in this. Sif. No, I just like critical thinking. I like to express ideas and thoughts, and I want people to learn to have a better frame of mind, whether I'm giving you mental clarity, whether I'm giving you, taking away the fear from you, whether I'm doing something, even if I'm being hard on you, it's with the idea that I'm trying to give you something. Sometimes I'm being an ass because I have my own personal problems. Okay. I, I understand that. But, um, the lack of open discussion, the silencing of discussion, the silencing of actual data, the same people running around screaming about environmental scientists being silenced should be screaming at the same thing happening now because they're not following the data. Critical thinking has failed. Our, our systems are failing. Again, read the book, Anti-Fragile, my name is Seem to Let. I'll post it in the link, in the, in the show notes or whatever you want to call them. This is just a reality. Stop being lazy. Stop letting the computer, the TV, your politicians, your governments, one doctor telling you I understand it's information is confusing. You need a lot of base knowledge, which means, guess what? Our education systems are failing. 
our systems are failing. That's what I got out of COVID. I mean, I knew they were failing anyway, but they should be obvious that our systems that we have built are failing. It has now caused fear, panic, aggression, Karens, <laughs> conspiracy theorists, and as a result, harm was done. From lockdowns, harm was done. From the medical system choosing to protect itself, not the general public, harm was done. From politicians lying, harm was done. From gaslighting, harm was done. But if individuals who vote are properly informed, and I'm sorry, most of the time when people vote, they don't know shit about the things they're voting about. Because nobody cares. Don't talk about politics, it's irrelevant. Then, you know, I'm, I'm for mandatory voting, but I'm also for people actually being informed what they're voting about. Politicians purposely do that to hide the details of stuff so that they get what they want. So you need to be informed. This whole series has not been about one side or the other. It's been about critical thinking. The fear and panic and stupidity of, at all levels, you, the listeners, our politicians, our scientists, everyone is fucking around. In the end, everyone's just trying to protect their own ass. And everyone gets screwed. This is about critical thinking. It's not about conspiracy. It's not about pro-science, anti-science. It's about the data and critical thinking. I've lost a lot of students because of the, of people just with anxiety. just And I try to give them more accurate information. Don't care. Think I'm being an asshole. I have other people who don't give a shit. And I have other students, uh, students or people I know that I probably are socializing inappropriate. Again, I don't think they're going to die if you go to a party, but like, yeah, that's going to spread a cause beyond reasonable control. So, uh, you know, that's a little irresponsible. Where's the middle ground? It's all gone. Anyways. Um, I hope I do more podcasts more often. I'm trying to really push stuff out more. Again, I just like ideas, thought discussion. I want to talk about stuff. I'm going to try to do it to my students listening if you've made it through this whole thing. I'm going to try to do it more on this format, more on the blog and less in the class. You know, it bothers me. Most of my students don't read or follow any of this. So to those who you do, thank you. To those of my listeners or anyone out in the world, thank you again supporting me. I really would like to do this more, but I need, I need you know, a bigger audience. So please share this. Thank you for doing that. Promote us on social media. It's just about the exchange of ideas, rational discussion. You know, I might have people on the regular podcast you don't like, but I want to hear their interests. I want to have discussion. I believe in freedom of speech within reason. I can do a whole other series on freedom of speech another time, perhaps. But thank you for listening. And I hope listening to this series, reading this series, has just given you a bit better perspective of how to interpret the whole COVID thing during, it's a little late now, during, but during, before, after the next pandemic, just how to think about it. How to interpret things, how to how to frame the world around you on this topic so that you're not losing your shit. So that you too may welcome peace. Thank you for listening to this series. You're listening to The Warriors Day. Warriors Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions.